St. Louis and the Angels are both top ten in scoring, and I should start Jose Barrios against them? On the road? I'll ask Carlos Marcano about that and a whole lot more next on Baseball HQ Radio. Learn to play the winner's way, because Baseball HQ Radio starts right now. And here's your host from BaseballHQ.com, columnist Patrick Davitt. And welcome to Baseball HQ Radio for Friday, May the 20th. It's show number 19 of the 2022 fantasy baseball season. I am Patrick Davitt, your host, and we do have another great Friday full edition for you. We'll have our feature expert interview with Carlos Marcano from Pitcher List and Baseball Prospectus, discussing two-start pitchers, roster construction, the real influence of pitch velocity, and his boons and banes. We'll also have our Market Watch Player News reports, with Harold Nichols taking another week off in Disney World, Ray Murphy has news from both leagues. In the National League, Ray discusses the Mets' rotation under siege, the Miami rotation looking for some help, and other National League stories. And in the American League, there's a playing time crunch forming up in Minnesota. We have adjustments in the White Sox rotation and changes in the Texas lineup. And in addition, we have a short discussion about Kumar Rocker. We'll also have our regular commentary from the expert analyst at BaseballHQ.com, the best fantasy baseball website in the business. In the frequent flyer, Baseball HQ analyst Alex Becky looks at Arizona outfielder Corbin Carroll. It's another big Friday full edition. Thanks for joining us here at Baseball HQ Radio. Hey, what do you say? We gotta talk some baseball. And in the first inning of this Friday Full Edition, part one of our feature expert interview with Carlos Marcano from Pitcher List and Baseball Prospectus. Carlos, welcome to Baseball HQ Radio. I think it's your first time. In fact, I know it's your first time. Yeah, yeah, it is. And extremely happy to be here. Thank you. I always like to ask, especially our first time guests, how you got involved with fantasy baseball in the first place and how long have you been playing the game? Sure. Um, well, I'm Venezuelan, and, and baseball is ingrained in our in our you know heart and souls. It, it's something that we we are born with, and so I, I've been a fan forever. And uh, but uh, um, specifically for fantasy, I mean, I don't know the past 18, 20 years, something like like that. But to be honest, I was mostly a casual player, you know. Yeah, home leagues and friends and things like that. I, I, I never played anything beyond the, the Yahoo typical standard leagues uh, until a couple of years ago. To be to be completely honest. And uh, what fantasy formats did you prefer, especially when you were starting out? Well, I, I'm most. I like to mostly play roto. I. I, I I don't like head to head too much because I I find it a little bit more lucky depending luck depending sometimes, so I'm more to for the long term grain that that roto is and and that's why what I prefer I I I've come to like a lot the NFBC format the 15 teams uh, standard five by five uh, cats. Um, I started the first time in my life I played and, and anything NFBC related was was last year with TGFBI, TGFBI, yeah, and um, and I love it. That's the the the, the format I, I like the most. 
And you're playing TGFBI this year, I know, because I'm in your league. Yeah, and then you're killing us. That's why you know. <laughs> That's why I like talking about it. <laughs> you know, yeah, what's yeah. crazy about my team is I I um, put off picking up my pitchers till I think the seventh round or something like that. And I'm, I'm that. 25th yeah. overall in pitching, and I don't have any closers. And uh, and I really, really went heavily on hitting in the first in the first rounds, and I'm terrible. It's just terrible. I, I don't understand how it works. I'm keeping my fingers crossed that I can maybe get some hitting going. But uh, where are you, you're uh, middle of the pack or so in our league, uh, what do you think you're going to be doing as far as uh, trying to pick up the pace for the rest of the season? Well, I, I, I've been doing some fat moves and things like that. But do, I, I mean, I haven't been that luck, uh, that lucky with what I've chosen. Um, and uh, I, I have a few. Well, everyone has injuries and things like that, so that that, that cannot be an, an excuse. So I think it's it's been a slow start mostly. That's what I'm hoping for. <laughs> That's what I'm, but but uh, I mean, I, I love that it. It's still the beginning of the season, and we have a lot of work to do. So. Yeah, there's still lots of time and lots of uh, opportunities for other teams to get injuries in your various leagues, not just this one. But how many other leagues are you playing this year? So um, I have a few. Well, I'm, I'm doing TGFBI. I'm doing RAS Jam. Uh, and uh, I'm doing like five five or six more, uh, like uh uh, fan tracks, uh, money leagues, things like that, and um, a bunch of other casual Yahoo leagues. And for the first time ever, I got the opportunity to play in a main event this year. So that, that's been huge for me. Um, I'm co-managing a team with a, a dear friend, Mark Northen, and, and uh, I mean, it's been a really, really incredible experience so far. How are you doing in that uh, in the uh, main event? We're eighth. Uh, we we got really beaten by the Uvalde Cup uh, debacle, debacle of last week. Uh, those 13 air, run, air runs in seven innings between the two of them. We were already fifth or four, and, and we got all the way through the nine. But but I mean, it's that's the thing with the the variance of when uh, at the early stages, right? Uh, um, so, but but we're very hopeful. We we have a, a good uh, one two with Rob, Luis Robert, and, and Byron Buxton there. So so we're very hopeful, and 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 our our pitching staff. It, it's kind of I think it's good. So I think we will compete. You always have to be a little bit extra worried. I think if you're relying on Byron Buxton. Oh yeah, for sure. We know we know the risks. To, to be honest. I mean, when he's on, he's the best player in the world. But uh, the problem is that he's not on too often. So uh, uh, that, uh, we we bake that risk into into our team. So, but he can make it or break it for sure. And so far, he's been making it. He had a little injury outage there for a, yeah. a short time, but boy, he's been playing great. You know, he could, he's MVP style. I was talking with somebody not long ago about Byron Buxton. And it, it occurred to me the player he reminds me of when he stays on the field is Eric Davis of the Reds back in the day. Oh, you know, yeah, I mean, yeah. he's not stealing that many bases, but stolen bases are not that common anymore. But sure. at his peak, I think Byron Buxton could be our generation's Eric Davis if he can stay on the field. That's an amazing com com 
comp and and, and I, I didn't think about it, but but yeah, he's even the way he plays, he looks a lot in in his style. He that's a great comp. I was at Wrigley Field one time and I uh, was sitting in the bleachers in the left field bleachers and the Reds were in and Eric Davis was a little older by then and he wasn't playing center field, he was playing left. Or maybe he was playing center, I, it doesn't matter for the story. But uh, there was these two kids yelling at him, uh, maybe 14 years old or so, and they were yelling at him that they wanted uh, him to, th- he, you could see a can of chewing tobacco in his back pocket. And they were yelling, Eric, Eric, throw up your chaw. Throw up your chaw, Eric. We want to, we want to. And he did. Eric Davis came over and he tossed this can of chewing tobacco up. And these two kids, like 14 years old, <laughs> <laughs> jab some chewing tobacco into their gums and, and throw the can back. And Eric Davis put it back in his pocket and smiled and waved. Uh, boy, he was a terrific player. He was one of my. I'm a Reds fan, so uh, I have fond yeah. memories of Eric Davis right up until the time that he went to the arch rival Dodgers. At which point, I kind of had to not like him anymore, which was too bad. Say, um, there's been a lot of talk here at Baseball HQ Radio and in all the fantasy sports media, Carlos, about the power outage this year, and I'm wondering how you and your fantasy manager um, friends and cohorts. You said you have a partner. How are you? How are you dealing with this power outage, or can you? Well, uh, that's yeah, that's pretty real, and, and it's worse than we anticipated. I, I think there, we thought that at the beginning that with all the mingling with the with the baseball that the MLB has been doing, and all the experiments they are doing with with the, it's it's basically a rag ball what we're there playing these days. So every fly dies in the in the warning tracks, and and uh, what we did specifically and what was to hit it really hard and on on power um batters at the beginning of every every draft uh, for example for this main event we we got standing we, we got jorge soler we we we, we stacked our team in, in these guys that are already power power batters and could be less uh hurt by by the by this all this situation with the with the balls and but it's still it's been it's been hard. I mean, um, you, you have to be really looking for power everywhere. What recently I was looking at and I was and uh, I, I was recommending getting, for example, Trevor Larnack, the Minnesota team uh, prospect, because he's a power guy that that could help anyone needed. He was hurt, but he's coming back in in a few in a few days. So you you. You have to keep looking for everywhere, wherever you can scratch and, and, and get some power batters because it's it's a real struggle. Nolan Gorman uh, is supposed to be coming up this week. I'll be talking yeah. with Ray Murphy about that a little later on, but uh, how aggressively will you be going into the fab uh, this weekend on Nolan yeah. Gorman, assuming he plays Friday night? Yeah, I think it's going to be out of my uh, of my buying <laughs> uh, budget, to be honest. Uh and uh, I love the guy. He, he looks to be a, a tremendous power batter. But I, I'd rather try to find these hidden jewels that are uh, here and there. That that, that I, I mean, I'm a little bit uh, not a skeptical, but I'm, but but I try to be cautious with with prospects because you we know, especially this year. This year has been terrible for for uh, a lot of prospects that they have struggled. They, I, or, or guys that were supposed to be better, like uh, Kalenic and others that, that had been struggled a lot this year. So I'm cautious about it. I, I would be beaten. I, I don't think, I, I think Mark, my, my, 
my co-manager will be also will agree with that and we will not be pursuing that hefty price for it. I'm with you on that. I I know that every so often a, a prospect comes up and is great right out of the gate, and I and I wish I had had uh, the courage to yeah. to go in on it. But to me, it's just a game. This whole thing is a game of probabilities, really. When you're looking at the players that you have access to, you have to ask yourself, okay, what are the odds that Nolan Gorman is going to come out of the gate flying? That he's going to uh, be establish himself quickly? That he's going to get the read on all the much better pitching that he's going to be seeing and he's going to yeah. whack, you know, 25 to 30 home runs the balance of the year. And when I think about all of the past experience I have in this situation, my conclusion is it's actually fairly unlikely. It's certainly, I think, less than 50-50. And I know that I'm going to have to spend a lot more than 50% of my remaining fab if I want to be competitive in the auction for Nolan Gorman. And yeah. I don't think I do. Yeah, yeah, I, I totally agree. Uh, uh, it, it's uh, the probabilities are against him, and uh, I, I'd rather I'd rather get Larnak a, a lot cheaper. And if he busts, I mean, I didn't spend th th that much, but there's a probably the same chance that he he goes and gives me twenty homers for 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 the cheap. Uh, that's that's my way. I, I know there's people that look at it in a different way, and I mean that's that's the good thing about the game, you know, all the strategies. Yeah, that's exactly right. And basically, uh, a big part of the game and the reason so many of us like it is that really we're putting our acumen, our ability to assess these things right up against uh, person to person or person to persons in, in your league. And you're yeah. wagering on your ability to do that against theirs. It's not about, you know, are you betting against Trevor Larnack or, or Nolan Gorman, you're betting, you're betting on yourself against everybody else in your league. And I think that's what really a lot of people find super attractive about playing fantasy baseball in general. You're listening to Baseball HQ Radio, Patrick Davitt with Carlos Marcano from Baseball Prospectus and Pitcher List. And uh, in a recent Baseball Prospectus article, Carlos, about roster construction, you looked at how the San Francisco Giants have been successfully using platoons and other styles of player rotations to optimize the likelihood that their hitters will produce to their maximum potential. Before we get to the nuts and bolts, what led you to explore this this angle for this article? I mean, I I, I am a, one of the biggest fans of the of the Giants' general manager and their front office because I I, I like to to think that it's all about optimization and 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 those guys took it to the you know to the to the limit they what they did last year uh, it's just short of amazing because if you anyone looking at the at the paper with the rosters and things like that you would never thought they would be so successful as they did so um and uh, Part, a big part of that is the use that they, they they do with their platoons and and the thing that they do more interesting than anyone is that they don't try to maximize some virtues but at least they try to um, do not expose the flaws <laughs> from their players so uh, I, I took their rough uh, as an example I'm getting a little bit ahead but, but because he's like a prime example of that he he the guy cannot hit high fastballs. <laughs> it, it, it's incredible. It, it, it's he, he's just really, really he struggles a lot against them. So they don't expose him to to that. And 
the result is that as an after effect, he's a good low fastball, low balls batter. So he gets to see more of those. He he gets the matchups against pitchers that rely more on that kind of location. And the results are they jump around. He 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 just murders those those pitches and, and that helps San Francisco win and and if you look at out uh, look at from uh general view that that's just brilliant you know they're they are taken to the limit all the all the optimizations and, and i love that it's really interesting to watch how the giants well of course they had such an excellent track record with reclaiming veteran pitchers over the last few years and turning what we thought look at kevin gosman for instance everybody oh, yeah. everybody i know in fantasy baseball thought kevin gosman was a bum and when he got to San Francisco, he got better coaching from that army of coaches that they have there. And so they're optimizing in a different way. It's pitch mix and, and location and that kind of stuff. But he turned into a Cy Young caliber pitcher just by good coaching. And I think that's really interesting. I know that there are some people who play fantasy and they say, I don't want a player like Ruff or a platoon hitter, like a left side platoon hitter in particular, uh, against left-handed pitching because they lose out so much on volume that they can't make it up on quality. And I think to myself, yeah, but would you rather have that guy hitting against guys he can't hit? Do you want Darren Ruff in there for 600 plate appearances when half of them are going to be against guys he literally cannot hit? then you might get a few extra uh, lucky, you know, opposite field loopers and stuff. But basically what you're going to get is 300 plate appearances, a very subpar offense. And why would you want that? Exactly. Exactly. That, that, that suboptimal. And, uh, um, and, and I understand the, the, if someone is, doesn't like it. And probably this could apply to daily lineups. Uh, leagues where you can do a lot more movements and I, I, I totally understand that that would be a better situation but that would be like a cheat code you know it, it, it's if you have a, a daily lineup, lineup league where you can have very rough and just moving moving here and there you're, you're going to maximize your opportunities there and and there are others there in rough guys that you can that you can do the same so you, you can create like a Frankenstein of, of, of really, really good, a really good player with the parts and beats from, from everywhere. So it's something that we might be overlooked because we try to, you know, set and go and, and get the, the whole package from the set, from the get go. Uh, but these days you, you have to get a lot better because there's, there's too much information and you have to micromanage your stuff a lot more. Your, the, the level of competition is, always getting getting better and, and, and you have to look for the edges when i was thinking about darren ruff in your article what came to my mind is if you're playing in a shallow league a 12 team mix maybe even a 15 team mix you're just not going to roster him i mean right. the giants are in a position to to maximize the benefit of of what they're doing with darren ruff but if if you've got a, a league where you know, pretty much every rostered hitter is going to be a 600 plate appearance hitter. You just can't afford a 300 plate appearance hitter. You just can't. And you have to say, oh, well, I'll go look somewhere else. But I like this idea of a Frankenstein. Uh, it put me in mind when you said it of John Lowenstein, the, the, back many, many years ago in Baltimore, was put in a left-right platoon with Gary Renicky and a couple of other guys. But they were the main two guys because 
uh, Earl Weaver said, if I put them together, they're a really good hitter, you know, because they each hit 300 in their platoon role and they each hit 220 in their non-platoon role. So he just said, well, you play against right-handers, you play against left-handers and the slot got them a 300 average and 30 home runs one year, I think something like that. And it sounds like if you had the opportunity, even in a shallow league, in a daily moves league, you could say, I've got rough to handle the high, the low ball hitters. I'll get such and such who can't hit low ball hitters, but who murders high ball hitters. And I'll just slot them in depending on who's pitching. And you kind of have your cake and eat it too. That that's that was exactly my thinking behind the behind the article, and and I've gotten good feedback around it. I think I think uh, it, it, it can you can get it the both ways. You can say no, nah, I mean it doesn't work for me because I only play uh, these leagues that need the volume, and that's total total fine. But there is so many there are so many options that you have you you, you can use. One thing about Ruff's line that I found was interesting is that his walk rate shot up as well. And I wonder, is there a connection, do you think, between this focus on on putting him in against guys that he can hit and his sudden increase in the amount of bases on balls he's taking? I think, I think it does, because think about it this way. If you know that your team is using you in a position that you are most likely to succeed, you know? So that that's a set of mind that gets you, okay, I won't be exposed to the things that hurt me more so i i can concentrate on this and th- that's something that puts you in a set of mind to for for getting better and and and, and if if you are in his case for example that he cannot hit the, the high balls that means less whips and left strikes out for him so and that's really going going directly to impact his walk rates as an after uh, cause and on or that's that's my thinking you know? i there pro- there are probably other other reasons for for that but uh, at least that's something that could be working in in his advantage there have you thought about other articles focusing on other ways to divide pitchers you've got high low in the case of Darren Ruff and whoever you might want to pair with him what about inside outside uh, curveball fastball those kind of things yeah. some we know some hitters are much better hitting breaking pitches than others maybe there's a matchup complement there as well yeah uh, there's uh, w- one idea that i like and i think i'm going to to look at it more is uh guys that like to chase uh Balls and against pitchers, high chasing rates. Uh, pitchers like oh well, you mentioned Kevin Gosman is uh, uh, is being really successful doing because he's been getting he's been getting batters to chase more than ever. So uh, there are simply hitters that cannot go against Gosman because they won't stand a chance <laughs> against him. Uh, that's 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 the, the the raw reality, you know. And and uh, I think there is a opportunity to explore options in that kind of splits. I'm going to start looking at them. I think you're really onto something here. And of course, it helps that we're starting to get more data. Back when I started playing, we were lucky if we knew what platoon splits were right left or home road. Right. That was about it, right? And uh, now, because we have access to the granular splits about high, low, in, out, curveball, oh, yeah. slider, all these kind of things, all of a sudden you have a lot more avenues 
that you can go down if you're trying to find one of these exploitable differences from one batter to the next, especially uh, getting back to what we're talking about with Nolan Gorman, you can find these guys much cheaper than you have to spend, you know, three or 400 uh, fab units or more to get, uh, if you want to get Nolan Gorman. And we really, as we said earlier, we don't know what we're going to get. So I'd rather spend you know, 300 units getting six 50 unit guys and try them all out one after another based on some kind of uh, division that like the one you're talking about. It's really interesting stuff. And I, I hope you keep looking into it because I found it not only applicable, even like immediately applicable to my thinking, but it also gets you thinking about other things as well. And that's the best kind of writing. If you ask me, uh, you're listening to Baseball HQ Radio, Patrick Davitt with Carlos Marcano from Baseball Prospectus and the Pitcher List site. And you also write a weekly column reviewing, this is at Baseball Prospectus, all the starting pitchers who will have two starts in the coming week. And then you look at the value they might provide. And it used to be axiomatic in uh, fantasy baseball. We should always just start our two start pitchers because we get the extra volume. But how has that thinking changed? Well, I think that there are two things that... uh maybe are are moving around the the and, and the uh, the thinking around it is and is because starting pitchers are getting less work than ever and but there's also a hyper specialization in it among starting pitchers relief pitchers so so pitching as a whole has changed a lot and you don't necessarily get the volume but so you have to go for uh, efficiency and things like that, getting good ratios and, and 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 all of that. So that complicates things a little bit more. It's not just oh, uh, I, I mean this guy's getting two starts. Let's go with him and 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 let's roll with that. Uh, I, it, it kinds of and it goes for also to what you say. We have a lot more information and we can see hey, this probably he will go. He will have a better match with this team but not with the other so that would not make it worth uh, to have in pitching this week so uh, in the end i think it's information maybe <laughs> that, that what moves the needle here i remember years ago i did a study for baseball hq and this was back in the days when the information wasn't nearly as as granular as it is now and just looking at the outcomes what are the outcomes when you get a guy pitching twice in a week? And basically what it turned out was it was a, it was marginally useful, but you had to be really careful because if you made a bad choice about starting a two-start pitcher, you know, two games in small parks, for instance, going to Boston and going to Yankee stadium, and he's a home run prone pitcher. Okay. You might get more strikeouts than you would in a single start, but you're paying the price in terms of ERA, in terms of whip sometimes, and you, you may not even have uh, much of a chance at a win because those are good teams. I think those are all things that have to be thought of or had to be thought of at that time. When you're doing this analysis now with this extra data, what are you looking at to determine whether a guy makes a, a, a good two-start pitcher or a guy maybe to be avoided? Oh, I, I I have this uh, huge matrix where that I feel with uh, not only what the what the pitcher uh, is been able to do for the season and the past couple of starts, uh, all his uh, underlying typical metrics, you know, ERA, 
uh, whip and things like that, but also the advanced stuff like uh, PCRA, Sierra, and 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 uh, whatever Savant can provide too, and also the the stats from the opponents. Uh, what's the team uh, WOBA? What's the team WRC plus? Uh, uh, the matchups are they playing at home? I, I mean, it's it's a lot of stuff. Maybe sometimes uh, it, there's a risk of infoxication. There's <laughs> too much information, right? Uh, but um, I, I think it, two starts are really really important for for our game, and uh, uh, you have to be if, if you want to succeed, you have to be very careful with those because. Uh, in the end, your pitching stuff it's bringing you half of the of the points, so it's you have to maximize the, those those points as much as possible. And the, the the biggest moment to do it is when those pitchers are, are pitching twice in a, in a week. I think uh, also you have to minimize two things, which is you have to minimize. Uh, runs and you have to minimize base runners or, or attempt to again and that comes down to that balance of volume ver quantity versus quality i yeah. guess is what is what we're talking about here and your articles come out every friday we're talking on a friday afternoon so um i was hoping we could talk about uh, today's article and i noticed you gave Pablo Lopez, your highest rating, all aboard, you call it, which is a, yeah. a, a cool little metaphor. Everybody climb on the bandwagon because this guy's going to do well, but he's at on the road for two starts against two pretty tough teams, uh, Tampa yeah. and Atlanta. Why is Lopez a train that we should be riding? I think what Pablo has been doing with the, with his repertoire of pitchers is, is really amazing. I, I think he, he, he took the next step. And uh, no one was <laughs> watching when he did it. I, I mean, we, we knew he was a good pitcher, but what he's doing is uh, getting into the into the field of the of, of the Scherzers and and goals of the of of, of the game, you know. And um, what I am looking at, I mean, I, I'm a little bit more afraid of Atlanta. I'm not that afraid of. of Tampa, I think he he's a good pitcher for that kind of team. Even though Tampa is one of the other teams that uh, maximizes their their platoons and things like that, they they, they kind of started the, that uh, trend a while ago already. But um, he had a, a rough last start. But I mean, even the Grom, well. Degrom, no, he, he's he's a robot. He, he, I was going to say, yeah. <laughs> maybe find another example. Yeah, yeah, yeah uh, forget it. Cole, let's let's say Cole. <laughs> Cole, they they have these bad outings uh, now and then. But uh, to be honest, I think Pablo is looking for big big things this year. Uh, I I know that we are looking at a great. Uh, season again from Corbin Burns and he might be the fav favorite for uh, getting the Cy Young again now that, and especially now that Scherzer is out and, and, and things like that but uh, I think Pablo Lopez is going to give him a run for his money uh, this year and and that that young uh, staff of pitchers in Miami is extremely exciting extremely extremely exciting so so uh, I, I think he's right now in in set and go mode. He, he could beat anyone. 
Yeah, I, I agree with you. And uh, from your lips to God's ear, because Pablo Lopez is really helping to carry my TGFBI team. He's one of the guys that I grabbed, you know, eighth round or so. And it's, I think next year he's the first round or second round or something oh. like that. So that's where the profit is. So may you be exactly correct about Pablo Lopez for the rest of the year. You also gave Tyler Molly of Cincinnati a recommendation, at least for F- NFBC-style 15-team leagues, Tyler Molly has an ERA over five, his whip's near 140. He has a home run per nine of 0.6, but his home run per fly ball rate is barely 6%, so we could expect that rate to double. And his two starts are in the Reds' home park, a homerific park, I call it. Uh, All of this seems to holler, don't start this guy, but you say start him. Why the positive recommendation on a guy who looks very, very suspect? Yeah, uh, this is uh, a leap of faith with Molly uh, because I'm looking at his underlying metrics. Uh, I, his, his ERA is on, on, over the roof, but the FIP and, and the DRA, which is the, the expected runs allowed from, from baseball, baseball perspectives, are like half of what his ERA are right now. So, yes, he's not been great, but I believe he's not been as bad as those numbers are, are, are showing. And uh, I like the prospects of profiting from these kinds of pitchers uh, early on the season. Could it be, could it go wrong? Yes, definitely. I, I mean, uh, but if for those willing to, to bet on a guy like, like this, I think Mala is uh, one great opportunity to get a, a big return of investment. So, so I, I I was also recommending some some per, people that play on in leagues that allow trades that you can get Maldi very cheaply right now. So that I think that uh, small window of opportunity is not going to last too long. So so I, I I'm kind of betting on, on Maldi for the rest of the season. I listen to a lot of uh, fantasy baseball podcasts, and there's a lot of of arguments that they take place they're, they're kind of, they have these kind of standard segments where they say keep or drop or you know hate or hold or you know they figure some some clever uh, wordplay but the gist of it is do you want to keep this guy on your roster or not and a lot of people are actually now saying t- Tyler Molly should be just dropped and it sounds like uh, if they your point of view would be if somebody in your league drops Tyler Molly you you need to get in there and and get him while you're buying very very low Sure, I I I take him in in the, the worst case scenario. Okay, I'll drop in two weeks from now. But if I think he he can turn around things uh, sooner than later, and it would, I mean that he was really good last year. He he ran a little bit out of gas by the end of of the season last year, and and uh, the, I think I've heard there's people worried about that still carrying. Through this through this season, that that this and, and and problems that he was carrying by the end of the of the year, but I, I he's he's a really talented pitcher, and unfortunately he has to play in how do you call it? Uh, Homerific. Uh, Homerific. <laughs> that's that's funny. I like it. <laughs> well, that's that's true. Uh, he has to play half of these games in, in over there, and that that doesn't help too much. But um, I think he's way too talented to just, you know, th- that's something that doesn't disappear from one day to the other that easy. And finally, 
I have Jose Barrios in tout, and he hasn't been particularly stellar for me. A 483 ERA, 150-ish sort of whip. And worst of all, his K rate is down to a career low. I think it's barely around 15%. It's usually been in the low to mid-20s. So he's starting this week on the road against St. Louis and then against the Angels, and they're both top 10 run-scoring teams. And I want to start him twice, and you say he's an all-aboard pick for two starts. Reassure me that this is a good decision because I'm going to do it. It's all about the curve, Patrick. I, 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 the curve ball is working, and he has a 30% whiff rate on that curve ball. And, and uh, uh, as long as that pitch is working for him, the results will, will begin to fall in place. And, and uh, he hasn't been the luckiest uh, pitcher around, and uh, we know he can eat innings like crazy. He, he will just go out and, and, and pitch and pitch. And um, I, I'm confident that he will he will turn it around too, just behind, just because the curve is the curveball is working is working fine. The thing I've been waiting for is for the team to start scoring runs, like I believed at the start of the season. These yeah. guys are going to score a lot of runs, and I've I don't know how many good outings I've lost. I have Gosman and Barrios, and wow. boy oh boy, it's kind of frustrating to watch them go out there with this powerhouse offense. And they lose two one, or they lose lose three to one, or one to nothing yeah. even on one occasion. Oh, it's really it's frustrating. Maddening. It's maddening. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, we have Gosman in our main event, and oh my god, I wanted to pull out my hair in the, that last out, and that he he couldn't make it after pitching brilliantly. The guy's been amazing. He's been tr- tremendous, yeah, and and I, I'm gonna, of course, I'm gonna hang on. I've had trade offers already, and no, I'm 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 gonna go the route with Kevin Gosman, partly because I believe that what he did in San Francisco, is the kind of thing that's transferable. If he's a smart oh, sure. enough guy, just to remember what they told him, and and you know, keep doing the same thing, maybe adjusted slightly for the different park. But he seems to be doing fine in that regard. Yeah, I really like Kevin Gosman, and uh, if you're listening from my Tout Wars League, don't make me an offer on Kevin Gosman because I'm not I'm not giving up just because the the team can't score runs. I think they're going to score runs. I just I just yeah. do. I don't know I don't know how closely you follow Toronto, but I think they they're going to have to move Bichette to sixth or seventh in the lineup until he starts hitting. The last yeah. few times I've watched him, he just looks lost at the plate, and yeah. you can't have that in the second slot. Yeah, yeah, that, that's a way too talented team to, to score this little quantity of runs. Uh, I, I think it's just it's a glitch, and it should work, get better sooner than, than, than later. Well, again, from your lips to God's ears. Uh, Carlos, this has been fantastic so far. Let's take a quick break. I've got to get to the uh, news items with uh, Ray Murphy, and then we'll come back a little later and finish our discussion. Awesome. Carlos Marcano writes for Pitcher List and Baseball Prospectus, and he'll be back a little later in the show. Coming up, we have our Market Watch Player News Reports, Ray Murphy with both the National League and American League News, next on Baseball HQ Radio. I think probably the most colorful guy in Ball 4 is the manager of the Seattle Pilots, Joe Schultz. Joe is sort of the opposite of Vince Lombardi. You know, Joe felt sorry for us. He told us not to feel bad. We just didn't have the talent. Uh, but he was great. He always he tried to keep the clubhouse loose. He was always saying funny things, you know. I remember uh, during a doubleheader against the uh, Baltimore Orioles, the eighth inning, we're losing 11 to nothing. You know, we know we're going to lose the second game. We just don't know what the score is going to be yet. Joe Schultz looks up and down the bench, and he says, Men, 
between games of this doubleheader, we have a choice of ham, roast beef, or tuna salad. Baseball HQ Radio. And welcome back to Baseball HQ Radio. I'm Patrick Davitt. Time now for our Market Watch Player News Reports with Harold Nichols on a family vacation. Co-general manager of Baseball HQ and a columnist at the site, Ray Murphy, is doing double duty. Ray, welcome back to the show. Glad to be here, PD. We'll start in the National League while Nick, as I said, is off gallivanting around uh, Disney World for the third time in the last five weeks, it seems. Spends more time at Disney World than he does at home, but good for him. I would if I could, that's for sure. Yeah, hey, he's uh, he's getting his steps in, I'm sure. That's right. He knows what he likes, and he goes and does it. I, I really appreciate that approach to life in general. Uh, catastrophic news for the Mets rotation, Ray. We already had Tyler McGill going on to the uh, IL with some bicep soreness, is what they're calling it. But even worse, uh, Max Scherzer goes to the IL with a left oblique injury. Phil Hertz covers the Mets for playing time today. What's the latest on those injuries? Scherzer was just diagnosed with the oblique on Thursday, and it seemed like sort of the initial reports weren't bad on that. But uh, after not announcing an immediate timetable, uh, Phil Hertz reported in playing time today uh, that we're now looking at a six to eight week absence from Scherzer, which is obviously big news. Big and horrendous news. And uh, if it's eight weeks, and I heard somebody say on an injury podcast that when they say six to eight, they really mean eight to 10, which could probably take him ba- out all the way out past the all-star break and creates enormous gaping holes in everybody's rotation in fantasy baseball. And of course, of the Mets themselves, uh, what opportunities are there in the Mets rotation? Who's going to take Scherzer's spot for this relatively long term? We've got McGill out for possibly a short term, but nobody's quite sure. What are we going to do and what are we going to see in the Mets rotation and how fantasy relevant will those replacements be? Yeah, the attrition overall in this rotation obviously is significant, both in terms of talent and in terms of just volume lost in in innings, right? You know, DeGrom hasn't been here all year. Scherzer's now out for six to eight. McGill's out too. I I wrote the uh, pitcher matchups column today on the site. Carlos Carrasco is pitching for the Mets, although I guess that's pending a blizzard in Colorado. Go figure. Um, But but I said about Carrasco, I said by virtue of simply being healthy and relatively effective, he's you know getting closer and closer to being the Mets' de facto ace, which is you know not words you wanted to hear back in March if you were a Mets fan. Certainly not. Uh, I know that they've called up a couple of guys. They have a a couple of guys who've been kind of pitching in long relief and spot starting. What do we think of uh, David Peterson and Trevor Williams? Yeah, they're going to be leaned on a lot, I think. And, you know, they can fill the spots in the rotation. Uh, You know, Peterson has had some flashes of success uh, in the majors and spot starts previously. You would think he's going to be the first one up. He wasn't called up when McGill got hurt just because he wasn't on rotation for that opening. But now that Scherzer's out too, we're certainly going to see him. Uh, He's got a 189 ERA, but uh, expected ERA of uh, up around four, uh, two strikeouts per walk in 20 or so innings, uh, you know, a slightly below average BPV of uh, 68. Uh, But, you know, they're going to have to lean on him probably along with Trevor Williams, who's been kind of the swing long guy uh, and has, you know, and also at times looked pretty decent in that role. Uh, you know, Williams, for instance, one last one, one outing last week against the Cardinals, you know, went out and hung up four scoreless innings with six strikeouts. And, and that's probably the big point here is that these guys, I would characterize them as, you know, Peterson and, 
Williams both being competent, but what they aren't going to give you is the volume that you were getting from Scherzer, the seven and eight innings to start, uh, you know, and same for McGill when he looked act when he looked, uh, you know, good before he, you know, before he was losing effectiveness right before he broke down, you know, these guys, you know, what Peterson, McGill, uh, Peterson and Williams, excuse me, are going to be, you know, four inning guys, five inning guys. And that is of course going to put more pressure on the Mets bullpen. I think it's going to be interesting to watch these two guys this week because they both have pretty tough starts, at least not this week, but the next few uh, starts. Peterson's a probable at Colorado on Saturday, which is not what you want to hear if you're thinking of having him on your roster. But if he's not on anybody's roster, you'll get a really good idea, I think, of what he's capable of pitching up there in Colorado. And Williams draws uh, San Francisco in San Francisco on Monday. San Francisco's a really good team. And they both get Philadelphia in Philadelphia next week. So we're, we're certainly going to get a chance to see what these guys are made of. The problem is, of course, in modern fantasy baseball, the fab frenzy will start this weekend, and you're going to maybe, in a lot of leagues, have to make some decisions before you get to see that second start. Sure. And of course, you know, part of making those fab decisions too is also, you know, trying to look at the schedule a few weeks out, you know, especially when this is a, you know, potentially just a few week opportunity and Peterson and Williams might both be vying for which one of them stays in the rotation when you know, we assume McGill is going to be the first one back. Right. Uh, so you know, the, these two starts, these tough starts might be, you know, the, the better part of the bake off. So if you're trying to figure out who to bid on, you know, those, those outings matter. And yeah, in, inevitably, you know, we call this blind bidding. And sometimes that's not just because we don't know what the other people are bidding. We don't know what we're bidding on. Right. <laughs> That's right. It's like one of those grab bags at the uh, at the county fair where you just bid some money and then you get you get a paper bag and you have no idea what was in it. it you know, it could be a chocolate bar, it could be a key to a Buick, you know, <laughs> and and you just don't know, which makes it uh, a lot more interesting, I think, and it's certainly going to challenge the acumen of a lot of fantasy players. Some players like that, some players don't like it, and I can see it either way. Let's move on to Miami. Uh, they put left-hander Jesus Luzardo on the IL. With the dreaded left forearm strain, often a precursor to elbow problems, Phil Hertz covering this story for playing time today as well. Ray, what should fantasy managers expect to see in the Miami rotation while Lazardo tries to get better? Yeah, so we're we're not quite clear on how long Lazardo is going to be out. The you know the initial words from the Marlins are that they got this early and it's precautionary, and you know it may not be that big a deal. But as you said. Uh, the left forearm strain is, you know, three of the worst words you want to hear for your left-handed pitcher. Right. So that's, uh, that's bad news for sure. And we'll require more monitoring Uh, for right now. It's Cody Petit who took Luzardo's start on Tuesday and he looked pretty good four and two thirds scoreless innings. Uh, It was the nationals. So, you know, that's a quadruple a outing, right. (laughs) Uh, But he's been pretty good out of the pen. Uh, You know, not as good as the, 0.55 0.55 ERA looks, uh, you know, there's a lot of hit and strand rate luck there, but he's been competent. Uh, briefly, many eyes were on Max Meyer as the likely call-up here is that he was really knocking on the door uh, for a call-up and making a big case for that in the high minors. But he's now, uh, you know, broken down a little bit too when he's on the shelf for a little while. So it's probably going to be uh, Poti trying to keep the chair warm, and maybe they make a diff- different decision if they find out that Luzardo does have to make a more significant amount of time. Yeah, Meyer, I think also something wrong with his elbow ulnar nerve problem, I think yeah, I read that, somewhere. 
That's not good. Yeah, that's uh, you know that's right up there with right forearm strain, right? So that's uh, you know, and obviously Meyer, you know, is their first round pick from a couple of years ago. You know, projected as a future front of the rotation guy. If we think they're going to be careful with Luzardo, they're going to be doubly careful with Meyer. So we're you know they're going to shut him down until that's totally quiet. So for now, we, I think we could consider him out of the picture for a promotion. I seem to recall having read somewhere that the ulnar nerve problems are a little bit better to have if you got to have a problem at all than the forearm strains and ligament tears and so forth because there's a surgical technique now where they can just pick up the ulnar nerve and move it and kind of slide it around so it's not being pinched by all of the action that's going on in that area of the elbow. Still not easy surgery by any means and it's not like he's going to get it as, as a day patient and come out and pitch two days later but of the two I'd rather have the ulnar nerve strain I think than anything like a, a forearm problem that is a precursor to Tommy John right the, uh, that I was just going to say they we're not in the business of uh reconstructing nerves right <laughs> you know you can move it around or whatever um and sometimes you know those things are also symptomatic of other things that there's swelling in there a lot of times you know the mu- the muscles are tending to there's sw- swelling going on the nerve gets moved or displaced and like you said you get the swelling out of there either it goes back on its own or then you can do relatively less invasive surgery to you know put everything back where it's supposed to be but you know nothing that we're talking about in this conversation involves you know 18 to 24 months of rehab the way the TJS does exactly uh, two other minor leaguers i've seen mentioned as possible starters for Miami sometime this year Braxton Garrett and Jordan Holloway what about them yeah w- now with Meyer out of the picture i think we have to consider them candidates uh, you know, after Poteet or, the, you know, if there's another domino that falls here, they could be left in line, next in line, uh, if only because they're both on the 40-man roster. We've seen them in the majors before, uh, but, you know, also neither one of them are available right now. So, uh, you know, it depends w- whether one of them get healthy enough to contribute when the, the, the next need arises. And whenever we talk about Miami and Miami prospects and their rotation, the name Sixto Sanchez has to pop up, but what's the latest on him? Yeah, boy, I, I, the last I think I officially heard was related to, I, it was during the lockout. You remember when uh, all, all, a bunch of players were putting out the, uh, you know, the, the, the super, uh, super exciting videos. It, it was the grainy Acuna videos, right? Or like Acuna's coming back, et cetera. He looks terrific in the batter's box. And of course, you know, the response was, well, you know, everybody could put out a, you know, a, a curated, edited hype video, except there was this video of Sixto Sanchez throwing somewhere during the lockout and he looked terrible. Right? <laughs> like that, not, not to be pejorative, but because, but because I coach 10 year old girls softball, he was, he looked like he was throwing like a 10 year old girl. <laughs> and a softball. <laughs> and a softball, exactly. Like the, he, you could look at the video and be like, I don't know why he released this. It shows that he is nowhere near being ready to pitch. And sure enough, once the lockout lifted and we got an actual med- medical update on him, uh, you know, he, they said he was way behind recovering from surgery from last summer on his shoulder capsule and that he was throwing from 90 feet. And of course we saw in the video that that was poorly. Uh, so I, you know, we're not going to see him for quite some time. I would think if he, you know, putting the conservative cap on and that if we see him pitch from the mound in a competitive game at any level this season, that's probably a victory. And another name that seems to have been around forever when we're talking about Miami pitching prospects is Edward Cabrera. Where does he stand? Yeah, you know, he maybe he moves to the top of the sort of prospect chart 
depth chart for the Marlins now that Myers temporarily out of the picture. You know, he doesn't have the ceiling of minor. We had him rated with a 8C on our prospect scale, which for a starting pitcher probably puts him as a solid regular mid-rotation type uh, in terms of you know future upside potential. Uh, seven starts in the majors last year. He got he got cuffed around to the tune of an ERA near six, but he was striking he was striking out a batter an inning, but was walking half the world. You know, we've seen that movie from from young pitchers before. And of course, when you're walking half the world, the worst thing you can do after that is give up home runs in between the walks. And that's what he was doing, too. Uh, This year, better news in that in AAA, no home runs allowed yet, but he's still been hit around to an ERA over five. But he's getting ten and a half strikeouts per nine, which is good. He's still walking too many people. So that's bad. Uh, But, you know, they may have to pull this particular lever for lack of other options because he's healthy. And I think that separates him from literally everybody else we've talked about in this conversation from Meyer to Garrett, to Holloway to Sanchez, uh, you know, Cabrera is healthy and healthy in pitching, which probably puts him next in line right now, despite the control problems. But boy, those control problems are something to really be worried about. If you're looking at them as an addition to your fantasy roster, because uh, pretty much every pitching analyst I've ever heard talk about the subject says it's the walks that you have to walk watch for at the lower levels because you don't tend to get better control as you move up right you know he's not gonna come up and suddenly against big league hitters who can do so much more damage suddenly have more confidence in his stuff and just attack the strike zone right he's gonna nibble and you know try to make the perfect pitch all the time and you know put even more pressure on the command that from what he has displayed in the minors just isn't there, right? Yeah, it's a tough ask to say to the guy, you know, try to hit the corners and stuff when he really would have trouble hitting a a, a barn door a lot of the times and to, to require the guy to get even more fine when he's pretty coarse is a big ask indeed. Although I have heard in some instances that Telling a pitcher that he has to hit a very precise spot helps him focus. And rather than, I know a lot of pitching coaches now say, just throw it right down the middle and let the natural movement take care of it, make of making it a difficult pitch. Maybe sometimes if they just say, look, we need you to hit the outside corner at the knees with Chinese mustard on it. And, and the fact that he has to focus in on it like that sometimes helps pitch better, but most oftentimes just makes it worse. Yeah, and you know, so, so much of that has to do with, you know, you know where they are developmentally, and you know, then on top of everything you're just talking about, you know, there's the near constant changing of pitch mixes, and you know, it, as you rise through the minors, you're being exposed to different pitching coaches who are, you know, each applying their own tweak along the way, and it's not hard to imagine that. Uh, you know, these guys get somewhat wrapped around the axles and that, that might be why, you know, too, too many voices in their ears and they don't know what to do anymore. And that's where the, you know, the control really starts to break down. It's a complicated business. It is. Yeah. I remember years ago, I had a Baltimore pitcher, Daniel Cabrera, same last name. I don't know if they're related, probably not, but kind of had the same problem. Had fantastic stuff. He got a ton of strikeouts, but he he just couldn't find the strike zone. I don't think ever, uh, in the time I had him on a, on fantasy rosters, I remember getting lots of strikeouts, which didn't count because I had him in a four by four league and a lot of walks, which did count because it was a, obviously it's a whip league like most four by fours are. So Daniel Cabrera turned out to be a hot running disaster for me for a long time. And, and, but the thing is you get so excited by the stuff that you just say, maybe this week is the time. Oh, this week he's playing such and such a team. They're not that good. He'll really dominate. You can't dominate a team that you're walking six guys per nine or seven guys per nine. 
Right. And in the back of your mind, you were probably thinking like, well, you know, Randy, Randy Johnson used to be like that. And then he suddenly solved the control problems and he was Randy Johnson. But, you know, that's kind of the exception, not the rule, right? Most of the people who you know, walk six guys per nine don't just suddenly forget how to do that. That's exactly it. It's it's really tough, and it's tougher as you as I said as you go up the line from double A AA to triple A to the big leagues, and the biggest jump, of course, we know is from triple A to the big leagues. That problem does not get better all on its own. It, I don't think it's insoluble, but I think it's really difficult for them to solve. Uh, San Diego activated Blake Snell from the IL. He had an adductor strain. The San Diego rotation was already looking pretty solid, Ray. So I have a couple of questions. First, first, what's an adductor? And second, what does Snell's return mean for fantasy managers who have members of the San Diego rotation? Yeah, so you sent me to the Google Google machine for this one. The adductor muscles are in the thigh, and apparently they are the thigh muscles that help you draw your leg inward, uh, like when your wife tells you to stop manspreading, is, that, is, is the analogy I, I, I came up with. So, uh, yeah, you can see why those would be important for uh, for pitchers in the windup there. So that's... Uh, you know, it took Snell a decent amount of time to work his way back from this. Uh, you know, he took the loss when he came back on Wednesday, uh, three runs and three hits and three walks. Uh, threes were wild over 3.2 innings. Uh, the Padres lost that game, but he did strike out five, which broke the, it was notable only for breaking the streak of threes. 84 pitches, which was, you know, probably pretty typical for, or pretty expected for a first start. Uh, only 46 of them were strikes, which is a little bit troubling because that's, sort of reminiscent of the inefficient Snell we saw in the first half or two-thirds of last season before he really got on track and started pounding the strike zone and working deeper in games sort of down the stretch last year. So uh, hopefully that's just a rust thing and not a regression thing. Snell's return pushed Mackenzie Gore and Nick Martinez farther away from the rotation. But uh, I think that Snell's going to have to pick things up because Gore and Martinez were looking pretty solid. And I don't think San Diego's, I think San Diego does have aspirations to make the playoffs and, and to maybe win the division even. And they can't afford to let Blake Snell have seven starts while he's figuring things out. I think that's right. But I also think there's an element of the Padres being, I, I don't want to say overcompensating because that's not fair, uh, but you know, being mindful, shall we say, of what they went through last year when they completely ran out of pitching down the stretch and they're going to try to manage the depth uh, more conservatively this year to make sure that they've got pitching to last into October, as you suggest, when last summer they had pitching that lasted into about the second week of August and then just completely went belly up. So yeah, the, the rotation right now, I mean, it looks, it looks stout, like you said, Busgrove and Manaya, Darvish and Snell and Clevenger have, you know, have both just returned to push Gore and Martinez out of the rotation. Martinez, I don't think is that much meriting a spot there. I think, you know, he, his lower upside back of rotation role is kind of going to have him stepping in and out of the rotation fairly regularly. So I don't think he really needs to be aggrieved here or anything. He'll come back when there's, when there's opportunity gore is more interesting because he was you know he was throwing well and of course it's been a sort of a i guess a meteoric re-emergence is probably the best way to put it you know he was a highly talented prospect got completely lost in the woods and this year came to camp and has been you know back on the uh back on the straight and narrow path 
in terms of results and you know recapturing that prospect pedigree. Uh, but you know he's also he was lost in the woods for a couple of years there, doing a lot of work on side fields, hadn't pitched much in games at all, lost the pandemic year, et cetera, et cetera. So there's probably a pretty significantly low innings cap there. So I would imagine that Gore being bounced in the rotation right now is a convenience because the other five guys are available, but also an opportunity to make sure they manage his innings. He did make, he has made one, uh, relief appearance since getting bounced from the rotation and through a couple of innings. But I would imagine that you're going to see him throwing two, three, maybe four inning relief stints as a first guy in if one of those starters gets pounded or you know leaves early or any of those sorts of things. But uh, this is an opportunity for them to keep him on the roster, but uh, you know lower his his pace of innings from if he was on 150 inning pace. Here's a chance to pull it back down to 100 or 120. In St. Louis, the Cardinals took a step most of us, I think, saw coming. Outfielder Tyler O'Neill goes to the 10-day IL with a shoulder impingement. Phil Hertz covered this story for playing time today. What happens in the musical chairs in the St. Louis outfield? It really is musical chairs, lots of dominoes. You know, for starters, we chopped O'Neill's playing time for now, although, like you say, we're not totally clear on how long he's going to be out. So the short-term beneficiary... In the outfield is probably Corey Dickerson to pick up some more at bats. But the bigger news is that they recalled Nolan Gorman from AAA, who's an infielder by trade, but uh, he's been raking down in the minors. He's their top hitting prospect. Uh, he's hitting 308 with a 134 OPS, 15 home runs, and obviously the minor league season that's only five or six weeks old. You know, so that's a 60 home run pace in a full season in the minors. So there's no way to get yourself out of the minors faster than to be on a 60 home run pace because, you know, you can't let somebody actually hit 60 home runs in the minors, right? You got to call them up. <laughs> so, Crash so, Davis, so maybe. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And he's no, he's not Crash Davis. He's actually a legit prospect. So he's in the lineup for Friday's game against Pittsburgh, starting at second base, which is interesting. He's spent some time there in the minors trying to get more versatile. Um, Tommy Edmonds slides over to shortstop in that configuration. Uh, you know, Gorman, you know, number 24 in our top 100 prospect list, number two in the Cardinal system, uh, a nine D prospect, which means he has an all-star ceiling. And obviously, you know, we're quoting the home run pace he's on there. There's a 30 home run ceiling there. It might come with a, you know, 250 HBA and a 310, 320 on base percentage, which is pretty average in this day and age. Uh, but you know, a real fantasy asset if, if he's up for good. And I think whether he's up for good still kind of remains to be seen, but he's getting his first cup of coffee. And I guess we'll see if he's, uh, you know, Jared Kalenic path or, uh, you know, Ronald Acuna path who set the world on fire when he got called up. Right. That's what we're going to wait and see. Yeah, I'd lean more towards the Acuna path, although he doesn't have the speed aspect to his game. But as you said, uh, 250 batting average 10 years ago, 250 batting average would make you sit there and, and wonder. But, geez, if he hits 250 now, that makes him, I think, above, above league average a little bit, which would be a plus for most fantasy rosters, I think, especially if he's banging home runs like we think he can. And especially if he sticks at second base, it's not an especially deep position. There's a lot of sort of mid-tier guys, but a second baseman who can whop 30 home runs is something to be looked at, I think, pretty seriously. And I bet there's going to be a big fab run this weekend if Gorman is available this week. I know some places let, let you draft them early, but uh, if Gorman's on the fab list this week, it's going to be interesting to see how aggressively guys go after him. Yeah, I think that's all correct. And, you know, long-term 
I would imagine, I mean, Arenado is a rock over at third base in terms of durability, but I would imagine he'll carry second base, third base eligibility, you know, for, you know, the first few years of his career, getting enough time over there, which as you say, is an attractive piece to your, uh, to your roster construction puzzle. So there's a lot to like there. And, you know, the, the remaining questions we have are ones he's just going to have to answer as far as whether he's ready to slide into the lineup. I will say that in terms of organizational context, it seems to me that the Cardinals are one of those teams that are pretty good about figuring out when these guys are ready and having them ready to plug in and succeed. So I think I'm probably, I'm probably more than 50, 50 that he's going to hit the ground running here. The Cardinals also recalled uh, left-handed starter Matthew Liberatore. Where does he fit into the St. Louis pitching situation? Yeah, they recalled him, and he's starting this weekend, uh, Saturday against Pittsburgh, I think. But it's not 100% clear what the sort of corresponding rotation change is. Their probables going forward into next week show a six-man rotation for at least one time through. You know, they've got Wainwright, Liberatore, Miles Mikolas, Stephen Matz, the Jordan Hicks experiment continues and Dakota Hudson, you know, so that's a, you know, that's, that's a filled up rotation. It didn't seem like there was a reason to call up liberatory for a, just a spot start here. So it seems like he's probably up for good, but we may have to go through that full cycle of six to see if they're going to keep all six of them up for a little while, or if someone's going to get bumped out. Um, I, if I was casting a vote, I would suggest that maybe the, Jordan Hicks as a starter experiment is coming to an end, but uh, that's speculation on my part. Well, you used to be the speculator columnist, so you're entitled by a, a grandfather clause or something. You're not a grandfather, of course. Your kids are very young, but uh, you could be grandfathered in as a speculator for now. Meanwhile, not only do they have six starters of a sort to choose from now, but Sometime down the road, I think we might see uh, the resurgence of Jack Flaherty, their ace, which would make it seven. And at that point, they really have to do something. Could it be that they're going to use this interim period with six starters to just sort out what they think they have? Yeah, it's an interesting thought. I, it, it occurred to me that are they prepping these guys to go to six because maybe they think they need to go to six when Flaherty comes back? Uh, Flaherty's been progressing, you know, he, he, missing this whole year with a shoulder injury so far. Uh, he's now throwing bullpens, could start a minor league rehab within a couple of weeks, and that probably puts him about a month out from actually being ready to go to go to come back into the rotation if there are no further setbacks. So yeah, this this gets very crowded in a hurry, um, which also means it's probably a pretty narrow window for Libertor to make uh, an impression and stake a claim. Otherwise, he's going to be the first whoever he bumps out of the rotation here. He in turn is going to be the one uh, you know, most likely on the chopping block when Flaherty comes back, unless he really demonstrates that he's a, he's an asset in, in the role right now. I think that's the most interesting thing to ponder on is the possibility that St. Louis intends to keep with a six-man rotation, perhaps in a bid to reduce the innings loads on all their pitchers. I think they have aspirations to play in the playoffs as well. And for teams in that position, I think the, the calculus has changed. It used to be, how are we going to get through 162 games? And then teams were hitting the playoffs and saying, oh my gosh, we're, we're down two starters because we just wore them out in the, in the five-man rotation or even four-man before that. And now all of a sudden, teams, I think, 
are at least considering going to the six-man rotation on a much more regular basis and using the off day to to make sure that everybody gets that same amount of rest without necessarily having to always throw that six-man on every sixth day because, you know, Thursday off, Monday off, it, it works out in, in that regard. Do you think it's possible that Flaherty comes back they dumped uh, presumably Hicks if Liberatore looks like he knows what he's doing out there and, and continues on as a as a decent pitcher from his AAA record, and they just keep running with six starters? I th- in some configuration, I think it's possible. And you hit on a, you know, the, you and I love talking about these sort of macro-level trends, right? But you think about the changes to the pressures on the workload for pitching staffs, right? And you start with the uh, the expanded rosters, which are still going to go down, uh, you know, in another week or two, I think, back to where you're only allowed to have 13 pitchers on the roster. Is that right? But, you know, you're carrying 13 pitchers. You don't have to worry about long extra inning games anymore where you need somebody to come out and soak up five innings of extra innings in one night and screw up your entire staff. And in a lower run scoring environment like we're in right now, for pitching, it's like a virtuous cycle because if you're giving up less runs and you know less runs are being scored every night, you're throwing less pitches and you've got more pitches to spread them around. So I think of some of what we're seeing, like the Angels are doing this too, you know, to, as they manage Otani. And I, I feel like when they first brought over Otani, they use that example two or three years ago, they had a much tougher time holding up the six man rotation because of the pressure I put on the rest of the staff, but they're just not feeling those pressures anymore because of the factors I'm talking about. So you can afford six starters and seven relievers and there's room if they want to like bring Flaherty back after his rehab, if they want to have him come back and throw three or four innings, a couple of turns through the rotation, they can do that and then just, you know, tag team him with Hicks if they want to, who only throws three innings a start anyway, or they can put him on every six day. So there's, they have a lot of flexibility. And I feel like, you know, teams used to play the, you know, shuffle guys on and off the roster all the time game three, four years ago when it was a higher run scoring environment. You played long extra inning games. And none of those factors are in play anymore. And I think the flexibility to go to a six-man rotation is one thing that teams are noticing because of as a fallout of that. I've been thinking for a while, especially since we talk about this, it seems like we talk about this a lot between how teams are using their bullpen pitchers and how teams are managing the rotations with five and six-man rotations. I wonder if we're in some kind of great transitional period in baseball that started, you know, three or four years ago with Tampa, um, being very innovative with how they manage their entire pitching staff, not just starters over here and, and relievers over there. I wonder if we're moving towards some kind of uh, situation where all the pitching staffs are more hybrids, where they just match guys right from inning one to try to get through a certain amount of innings, and the management of the workload takes place in both a macro sense and in a micro sense, where pitchers are put in for relatively short runs, but more often, maybe pitch three times a week, two innings a time, instead of one time a, a week, six innings a time, because... There are health advantages that are starting to turn up from that, and there are efficiency advantages that stem from looking at that. And I wonder if 10 years from now, when everybody's sitting around uh, griping about the rules in our fantasy leagues, where we're we're just going to have to drop innings requirements entirely or uh, add a number of pitchers to our roster so we can make 900 innings because nobody's throwing that many innings anymore. I think this is potentially a very interesting transitional time. 
Yeah, it's not. I, I've I've revised my thinking on this a little bit. I, I think we've used the phrase before, like in some future state, five, 10 years from now, there may not be starting pitchers and relief pitchers. They'll just be pitchers. Um, and the roles may be much blurrier, like you're talking about. I would refine that a little bit in my own mind right now. Like, I think there are going to be one inning pitchers and multiple inning pitchers, right? Um, you know, we've got the class of guy who come in and, you know, most of them only throw two pitches and they snap off nasty sliders and 99 mile an hour fastballs. And at the end of the game, they just try to blow you away and teams carry three, four five, six of those guys now. But then the other seven or eight guys on your, on your pitching staff are just multi-inning guys. And that doesn't necessarily mean starters. It means sometimes you'll be asked to go three innings. Sometimes we'll use two of you to go three innings each. Sometimes you'll go six innings. But then the next time out, maybe we'll put an opener opener in front of you, or maybe we'll be managing your workload and you only go three innings like Mackenzie Gore or you know some combination of that. But you can, you know, they, the managers have the flexibility and the depth on hand to make it up as they go along and say, oh, you know, our staff is a little worn down. If you can get five or six tonight, we'll let you go that long. Or you can say, like, I got three guys out in the bullpen who haven't pitched in five days, so you're going to go two winnings tonight, and then we're going to, you know, bring the raft in from there. And, you know, you spread out the innings, you spread out the pitches, and, of course, like you said, the goal is to get everybody through the season with something left in the tank for those who are trying to play into October. However it works, I'll make one solid prediction here. John Smoltz is not going to like it. 100%. <laughs> Back when I was a kid. Yeah, we used to throw 120 innings a week. 120 innings a week. It was snowing and the mound was uphill both ways. <laughs> I was dialing around the TV, uh, fairly late last night, Ray, and on the Cubs Arizona game, I saw that Marcus Stroman was back from the COVID IL, He's not been that great. What do we expect from Marcus Stroman as we look ahead? Yeah, I, he has not been great, uh, you know, in his debut with the Cubs here over the first six or seven weeks. But I, I think he's been uh, pitching in a little bit of unfortunate luck and maybe a uh, bit of a target or a positive regression candidate at this point. Obviously, he comes off the COVID list, goes right back in the rotation. Uh, you know, his his ERA is up around five, but that's it's about a run higher than what we would have expected his ERA to be. Uh, you know, the PQS log shows he's been, you know, shows that things have not been good. Not that he's ever been a huge guy from a, you know, PQS dominance perspective, but only one PQS five that was at Milwaukee a while back uh, in six starts. The rest are all ones and twos, which are pretty shaky outings. Um, the weird thing is that his ground ball rate seems to have um, disappeared. Like he, he is traditionally not been a huge strikeout guy, but has made up for that with, you know, 60 plus percent balls on the ground, you know, relies heavily on his infield defense, that kind of profile. But the ground ball rate is slipped below 50% this year. Um, so he's getting the ball up more, giving up more fly balls. And, you know, guess what? That's probably not the best idea when you just move to Wrigley Field. So, uh, you know, he's dealing with a bit of gopheritis, but it's not the kind of gopheritis we consider lucky. It's the or unlucky it's the kind of go for itis that is like well if you're pitching more high in the strike zone and you're giving up more fly balls than you used to some of those are inevitably going to land on the other side of the fence 
even in a year like this where fewer balls are landing on the other side of the fence. So that it kind of is a double concern. 60% plus a ground ball rate from 2015 to 2018, Ray, and then a steady decline. And as you said, he's now under 50 in over the past three years. That's definitely going the wrong way. And we have a mantra at BaseballHQ.com that says, once you display a skill, you own it. And I think the corollary to that, and I've mentioned this before on the show, is once you display that the skill has departed, you own that too. Yeah, and it's more concerning, like you say, that this is sort of the the next step in a multi-year decline. I might be a little more forgiving or inclined to speculate on a rebound if his ground ball rate was, you know, 62, 62, 62, 47, because then maybe maybe it's just a, uh, you know, he's lost the grip on a changeup or something like that, that, you know, is a tweak away from coming back. But, uh, you know, either this is a conscious change he's making to reinvent himself and it's not going well, or for or whatever the problem is, he is unable to fix it and get his ground ball rate back to where it used to be. So, yeah, concerning. Finally, Ray, I wasn't sure whether this next news item belongs in the National League news or the American League news, so I'll put it between the two. What's the latest chapter in the odd story of Kumar Rocker? Yeah, boy, it's uh, we, we've gone almost uh, once around the sun with uh, the Kumar Rocker saga, saga now, right? You know, as a reminder, you know, Vanderbilt uh, right-handed pitcher last year who you know spent most of like this time last year uh, being mentioned like one, two with Jack Leiter to be the first pick of the draft. And then when the draft came, you know, some weight concerns with him and his, you know, I don't know if they were all concerned about his health or his workload and those sorts of things. He ended up falling to pick number 10 where the Mets took him. Uh, but then the Mets kind of look at his medicals and rescinded the contract offer because they didn't like some of the things they saw in his elbow. So he's been, you know, a man without a country since then. And I remember he decided he could have gone back to Vanderbilt and showed the scouts and showed the draft uh, the draft personnel in the major league level that he was ready to go. But instead he went to indie ball. He went into one of those indie leagues. Yeah, so he decided to sort of go, go it on his own, so to speak. Uh, he's... He has signed with the Tri-City Valley Cats of the Frontier League uh, he's, when he's going to start pitching in about a month, which will give him, you know, essentially a showcase of maybe three, four weeks, four or five starts, uh, you know, before the draft, this year's draft, where he's eligible to be taken again to try to show that he's fully healthy and, you know, meriting the kind of pick he got last year and hopefully have a better uh round of contract negotiations. If, if, if all of that goes well, you know, he could certainly be a top 10 pick again. Of course, there's downside there too. If he shows that, you know, either is, you know, if he can't carry the workload for even a couple of weeks or if, you know, his velocity is not back to where it used to be or, you know, any of those sorts of things, it's a, uh, you know, he chose a, I guess a fairly high risk, high reward path and it's time to uh, time to let it play out. And it's kind of a tough, damned if you do, damned if you don't scenario for a guy like Rocker. He goes to an independent league, and the independent league is, you know, this Tri-City team used to be a low-A kind of uh, short-season league, and I don't think it's a lot different now. It's that it's that caliber of player. So he goes down there, and if he strikes out a million guys, all the scouts and all of the analysts go, yeah, they're 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 independent league guys, you know, who cares? He should be striking out 16 or 18 of them a game. It doesn't show me anything, but if he doesn't strike out 16 or 18 guys, all the scouts and analysts are going to go, 
he's through, he's shot and they might be right, but it seems like Rockers painted himself into, into quite a corner and he might've been better going back to Vandy because at least some of the college hitters have real chops and have real pedigree as far as uh, what analysts think of their ability to hit as opposed to guys in, in indie ball. But having said that, I think if you have deep minor league rosters and the kind of lenient rules that let you take uh, a flyer on a guy like this, uh, I'm in a league where a manager just dropped him. I thought he was off his rocker. Uh, bonus, qu- <laughs> bonus question, Ray. You said Rocker will be playing for the Tri-City Valley Cats. What are the Tri-Cities? Oh, this is a layup for me, PD. I'm a native New Yorker. So uh, up in upstate New York, the, uh, the Tri-Cities are Troy, Schenectady, and the state capital of Albany. And where do the Valley Cats play? Uh, I think they're in Troy. It's funny. I, I meant to go look this up because there used to be a uh, Albany Colony, like Albany Colony Yankee farm team that was double double A level, but with the uh, with the minor league shuffling, I don't know if this team is playing in that same park. But because they didn't want to give ownership back in those days to any of the tri cities, they they just affiliated themselves with the county, so it looked like they were you know belonged to everybody. But apparently the uh, you know now now we're trying the tri city route, but uh, but but they are based in Troy. Bonus question number two: What major university is also in Troy, New York? Rennesier Polytechnic. RPI. Yeah, that's what people call it, RPI, because nobody wants to say Rensselaer or Rensselaer or whatever it is. Uh, Bonus question number three, can you name either of the two current Red Sox who played for the Valley Cats? Oh, now you're stumping me, but still, that should be in my wheelhouse, being a, you know, New York native. I'll give you a hint. Red Sox fan. The, the, uh, the Valley Cats at the time were a low A short season affiliate of the Houston Astros. Oh. Okay. Um, JD Martinez. That's one. Okay. Um, the other one might be a little tougher. Kike Hernandez. Kike Hernandez is right. Uh, In 2009 for Martinez, 2010 for Hernandez. Well done, Ray. Uh, Let's carry on by moving to your usual bailiwick in the American league. And we'll start in Houston, which for many years was the parent club of... The Tri-City Valley Cats. I don't know if they were called that then, but yeah. The, the, yeah, that might have been the Albany Colony team. I, I'm not totally sure. Were they named Colony after like bees or was it a colony of the British in 1720 or, or is there a lot of Amish up there? It's it's the latter. It's apparently like a, like a regional, a regional equivalent of county or something like that. Oh, I see. Okay. Well, carrying on with Houston, the Astros put pitcher Jake Odorizzi on the IL with a lower leg injury. Jock Thompson covered this for playing time today. It was a weird looking thing in Fenway Park. Yeah, it was. Uh, You know, the the assumption, you know, you couldn't quite tell from the video, you know, he was trying to get off the mound to go cover first and he took like one step and, you know, went down like his leg exploded. Like you would have, it's the kind of thing you thought my first thought was like, you know, they blew out his Achilles or something like that, right? It's and it, but it seems like um, the guy, you know, they would have known that immediately if it happened. Um, and they haven't come out and said what it is, other than lower leg soreness or whatever. Um, they put him in a boot. Um, Dust, Dusty Baker said it may not be actually be that bad, uh, but you know, the MRI apparently only shows some strains, some sprains. You know, maybe it's just like a, a really bad twisted ankle or something like that. Uh, so much less serious than actually an exploded Achilles, which would have put him out for probably a year. Uh, so, you know, good news compared to what it looked like as he was uh, rolling around the grass at Fenway for sure. What does Houston do in the meantime without Odorizzi, who had been pitching really well? 
Yeah, it was a sort of tale of two seasons for him early on, you know, three or four bad starts to start the year. But then, you know, clearly he changed something and his last two or three have been much, much better. Uh, so they're going to miss him for however long he's out. Uh, it looks like that since they were one of the teams that was running a six man rotation, they had just moved uh, Christian Javier back into the rotation to sort of bloat that group up to six. So I guess now they go back to five for a couple of turns to see what happens with Odorizzi. But so it's Verlander, Jose Urquidy, Luis Garcia, Framber Valdez, and now Javier at the back end. Let's go to Minnesota now, Ray, and it looks like there's a playing time crunch coming. Kyle Garlic just came back. Carlos Correa just came back. Trevor Larnack is supposedly coming back soon. Alex Kirilov is not far away. Uh, Miguel Sano for the second half. Rick Green covers the Twins for playing time today. There's going to be a lot of changes in this roster. It looks like a lot of ups and downs. What will the Twins roster and lineup look like for fantasy managers when all of the music stops and everybody's back in their chairs, except for some? Yeah, boy, my overall takeaway here as you rattle through all those names is, wow, this is a really deep and well-constructed offense, isn't it? You know, they have a lot of pieces around, and, you know, they turned a lot of heads this week by sending Royce Lewis back down. They had called him up when Correa first had the injury that they thought was a broken finger, uh, and then Correa turned out to only miss a couple of days. So, you know, Lewis really was forcing his way into the lineup. You know, he was hitting over 300, a couple home runs, four doubles, all in like 40 plate appearances. So he was you know, doing everything he could to stake a claim, but it seems like there really just is nowhere to play him with Correa healthy. So for now, at least they sent him back down. Um, and you would think we're going to see him again at some point fairly soon. I haven't checked yet to see if they're doing one of those things where they're moving him around to different positions in triple uh, a to try to get him some work, other spots and make him more, uh, more of a versatile piece to come back up quickly. But um, in the meantime, with Lewis not on the bench as a 10th or 11th man, it's more uh, the likes of Gilberto Celestino and Nick Gordon um, hanging around. But the, those guys might get squeezed, continue to get squeezed out as the Larnax and Kirilovs and Garlics all come back, like you were saying when you were, uh, when you were talking about the glut they have here. Nick Gordon, I think, is the likeliest guy to go first. He's only got a 587 OPS. He was playing a plus defense out there in, in center field, and I think they liked him from that point of view. Certainly, Minneapolis media liked him from that point of view, but if your OPS is under 600, I think you have to darn near be like Paul Blair out there or Jackie Bradley Jr., that's the plus-plus defensive center fielder before they'll put up with the uh, the lack of hitting. The plus-plus guy that you're talking about in this case is Byron Buxton, who, you know, when he's healthy, is their center fielder. But Gordon ends up being the, uh, you know, the, the least glove side replacement when Buxton gets his inevitable dings or days off. So even if if Gordon gets sent down, he's probably, uh, you know, one Byron Buxton bruise away from uh, getting a bus ride back to St. Paul. And I think your good advice here was to monitor what Royce Lewis is doing in the minor leagues. If they leave him at shortstop, it would seem to indicate to me that the Twins are not that bothered about him staying in AAA for the time being. They certainly can't play him at third, or Shell has been quite a revelation over there. And and if he's not 
capable in the outfield. You can't really see them putting him over there. First base doesn't seem to make any sense for him. So I think all of those things are pretty interesting. And if I start seeing Royce Lewis turning up on the St. Paul, whatever they're called, uh, uh, roster in the outfield, then I'll know or I'll believe I know that he's coming back up, and that would certainly make him more interesting for a play down the road. Uh, the Twins also activated right-hander Dylan Bundy from the injured list. He had an unspecified illness, <coughs> covid and he started a game Tuesday at Oakland. So what's happening with Dylan Bundy? Yeah, Gun, uh, Bundy's illness was probably a combination of COVID and the fact that he got absolutely tattooed in his last uh, two starts before he came down with cough, COVID, cough. So uh, yeah, it, it did seem like he used the time, the downtime to some benefit as, like I said, he was getting tattooed before he took a, took that little COVID vacation, but uh, came back against Oakland and did manage three innings with uh, – no runs allowed, two walks and three Ks, which lowered his season ERA to just a tick over five. Uh, the seven walks to 25 strikeouts ratio isn't bad, but, uh, you know, Bundy's always been one of those guys whose ERA seems to look worse than the, uh, than the underlying skills. So we're going to, uh, we're going to not get too excited about that, nor are we going to get too excited about three good things against the A's. We'll, we'll see. We'll, we'll leave him in the rotation and let him take a couple of more turns, but, uh, you know, optimism is dimming. Yeah, it wasn't like he was getting in there against Joe Rudy and uh, and uh, Reggie Jackson and uh, those kind of guys. This is a, a very depleted Oakland roster, shall we say. And they're, they're one of those rosters where if you see a pitcher do well, it kind of goes back to what we were saying about Kumar Rocker against those international league guys. Yeah, you did it against Pittsburgh. Yeah, you did it against Oakland. But what can you do when you when the big boys get out of school, as the anecdote goes, and, and you know you walk home with your glove dragging behind the ground and a sad expression on your face? Uh, Bundy's career uh, low velocity, down under 90 miles an hour, how much of a concern is that? I it's not great. Uh, you know, he's changed his pitch mix. I took a little bit of a look at it for a pitcher matchups column three or four weeks ago when he was, you know, throwing pretty well. And he, he had, uh, I think he changed from a four seam fastball to a two seamer or something like that. And he's de-emphasizing his slider and, uh, you know, focusing on, I forget if it's a curveball or a change up more something along those lines, but, uh, you know, sometimes you get excited about those things and sometimes it's just a case of shuffling deck chairs on the Titanic. And it, it seemed like this was a little bit more of the latter. Our baseball HQ playing time analysts have actually slotted Dylan Bundy back into the number three slot in a six man rotation for Minnesota. And Minnesota is one of those teams that seems to be trying to be on the cutting edge of a lot of stuff. Another six man rotation. I'm curious to see how devoted they stay to it, especially if some of the six men start not pitching well enough to be even in a six-man rotation. Uh, The White Sox have been scuffling, but they've got some good news. They got Lucas Giolito back, and they got a great outing from Johnny Cueto. Uh, Shades of yesteryear, uh, Rick Green covers the White Sox for playing time today. What should we expect from Johnny Cueto and the rest of that White Sox rotation? Yeah, he looked really good the other night. Uh, I didn't get I didn't get eyes on it, but six shutout innings, seven strikeouts, two hits and two walks. I mean, that'll that'll play any time. Of course, it was the Royals, which kind of goes right into the conversation about the, what happens when the big boys get out of school because the uh, the Royals offense. Well, it's been so good that they fired their hitting coach earlier in the week, which is just a dead giveaway that things are not going well, right? Yeah, no kidding. But uh, you know, Quito, he'll get a little bit more of a test next time out. He uh, he faces the Yankees in the Bronx th- this weekend, so that's uh, that, that's a bit of a night and day comparison from the Royals in Kansas City. Uh, but you know, Quito's probably 
you know, a emergency situation for the White Sox here. If he keeps throwing like he does, he could probably at least beat out, uh, I think it's Vince Velasquez right now, who's the back of that rotation, at least until Lance Lynn comes back. And there's a little bit more time until Lynn is ready. He's got at least a few more weeks, if not another month. So, uh, you know, Velasquez is, you know, a place, probably a placeholder and nothing more. And, you know, Dallas Keuchel is probably a little bit more of a placeholder just because he's probably making some real money. But, uh, you know, certainly if Cueto looks good, he can stick around ahead of those two guys. Would you put a bid in on Johnny Cueto this weekend? Well, you know, conveniently bids are Sunday and we'll see how he does against the Yankees. But yes, if he, you know, even does not get destroyed against the Yankees, then I think I'm interested here. If only because, you know, the team context here is pretty good. You know, the, uh, you know, the, we've talked in the last three or four episodes about the seeming revolving door of injuries in the White Sox lineup. But, uh, you know, as the weather gets warmer, this is a pretty good lineup. And if they start getting, uh, getting some of the missing pieces back, this team can score a lot of runs. It's also a really good bullpen behind the starters. So, you know, Quito could, Quito could have a good run going five, five and a third, five and two thirds and leaving with a lead more often than not. It's, uh, it's not hard to imagine that in this uh, context. And having, as you said, having that lead survive through a pretty good bullpen. And, uh, of course, that'll get better when Aaron Bummer comes back as well. The Texas Rangers activated catcher Mitch Garver from the 10-day IL on Thursday. Ray, they optioned outfielder Nick Solak to AAA. Rod Trusdell covers the Rangers for playing time today. What are the ramifications for that lineup? Yeah, to me, the news here wasn't really the... Garver reactivation, that was just a minimum length DL stint and was good to see him come back quickly. But, you know, the decision to send Solak to the minors seemed like the more, uh, the one more likely to reverberate here. Uh, and that's particularly good news for Sam Huff, who had been called up to be the second catcher while Garver was out. But he's got, he's got a little more utility than that. They can use him at DH. Of course, they've been using Garver at DH a little bit before he went on the IL. So presumably... They're going to continue to try to do that. And if anything, keeping three theoretically qualified catchers on the roster allows them to have one of them be the DH most of the time. So I think that's probably the indicator we're getting here. Yeah, I think in uh, Rod Trusdell's coverage, he said that uh, Garver is limited to DH for now. They brought him back right away, but I don't think he's ready for catching duty. So Huff has a a little bit of rope to work with. And uh, gosh, he's not a good batting average hitter, but light tower powers, they say. Yeah, you know, an interesting long-term play too, because, you know, the real power, the catcher eligibility are... Uh, you know, sort of two key elements to somebody who will get us excited pretty quickly. Um, you know, there's a lot of strikeout risk in there, but, you know, stop me if you haven't heard that before. Um. <laughs> hey, I had Mike Zunino on a roster or two over my life. So, yeah, uh, I'm familiar. Gary Sanchez, another guy that, you know, for a catcher, if a guy's going to hit you 30 home runs, you'll put up with a lot of strikeouts because otherwise you're going to get, you know, instead of getting a 210 batting average, you're going to get a 230 batting average with no home runs from some other catcher. You might as well get the home runs and then try to make up the batting average somewhere else. Yeah, as long as the batting average starts with a two, it isn't like a 176 or something like that, then absolutely give me the home runs and I'll worry about the batting average within reason. Meanwhile, uh, as you said, the more surprising aspect of this is the demotion of Nick Solak. He'd been playing outfield, so how does that situation shake out? Who gains the playing time? 
it looks like it's Eli White, who's had a very interesting start to the season. Uh, you know, he's sort of been playing himself at the more playing time in the outfield lately. Uh, you know, in their lineup against left-handed pitchers, he's often been up at the top in the last couple of weeks as well. Um, he's not hitting for average because stop me again. Uh, you know, his contact rate's been abysmal. There's a lot of strikeouts there. Uh, but he also takes some walks, which, you know, makes him more suited to the top of the order like that and a little bit more of a table setter profile. And notably, he's stolen eight bases already, which in this day and age is positively eye-popping, right? Uh, so I, I think that the stolen base rate plus the playing time opportunity here really makes him absolutely an AL-only you know, free agent target, maybe even in deep mix leagues, um, especially if you're looking for a quick infusion of stolen bases or something like that, because even if you add them for three or four weeks and pocket four or five bases, that, uh, you know, that, that, that might be a good use of a roster spot for the short term. Eight stolen bases in a relatively limited amount of plate appearances as well, which actually compares pretty good when you look at a guy like uh, Whit Merrifield, who has his stolen bases, but in quite a few more plate appearances. So on a per plate appearance basis, Eli White's the kind of guy, gosh, even if he ends up not getting regular playing time, he's going to pinch run, presuming he stays on the big league roster. But uh, as a source of stolen bases in a tough stolen base environment, uh, you're right. So uh, before we go, Ray, you and Brent uh, recently announced some new additions to the Baseball HQ roster of writers. Uh, who'd we get and what will they be doing at the site? Yeah, we, uh, this was a process sort of long in the making for us. Uh, you know, it's been a few years since we really hung out the, the hiring shingle and, you know, with a number of, you know, staffing changes and inevitably, you know, some pandemic fallout where some guys decided they wanted to do other things with their time, et cetera. We had a bunch of needs that we were sort of kind of been papering over for too long and it was time to really hang out the shingle and bring in an infusion of new talent. And when we hung out the shingle, it was just overwhelming the, you know, the amount of applications we got and the quality of all of them. Uh, so we, we were planning to be pretty aggressive to begin with, but I think we went even further than we were planning on. We actually announced uh, a full roster today of 21 new hires, which is, uh, you know, a big infusion of talent to the staff. Uh, you know, several of them are going to be on the editing side, and then uh, a bunch more are going to be writers, either on Playing Time Tomorrow or Facts and Flukes or the Daily Matchups column. And uh, a bunch of people also are going to be in the Playing Time Today space where they're writing the the Playing Time ver- uh, blurbs that you know we've been recapping here, but also being the guys who manipulate the projected playing time and the uh, you know the depth charts to uh, reflect their their team beats. So I'm super excited to have all of them. It's been I think both Brent and I would tell you that it's been a very invigorating process for us to you know attract the new blood and feel their enthusiasm and have it invigorate the whole staff. We're we're excited about it. And like Brent said, now we got a cup you know we got enough people to field a couple of wiffle ball teams. So that's cool. And I was been noticing the last couple of weeks, the last couple of months, really, that uh, you and Brent have yourselves been doing a lot of the writing at the site, which can't be optimal as far as trying to run, uh, to steer a ship while you're also rowing it. Yeah, that's exactly right. There were a couple of uh, couple of factors that fed into that. You know, the, obviously, late May here is sort of a, an odd time to be hiring for a baseball fantasy baseball website, but, uh, you know, it, it all dates back to the lockout. Really. We knew, you know, even at the beginning of the year that we wanted to run 
this kind of a hiring cycle and fill a bunch of needs. But doing that during the lockout really wasn't that practical when there was a lot of ambiguity about how long the season would be. Just you know, from a budget perspective, wasn't really the right time to be uh, you know, bringing on new people. Plus, everybody was so mad at baseball then that you know we were kind of afraid that we wouldn't get uh, you know as much interest as we wanted. Um, so we put off the hiring cycle until right around opening day. And that worked out great. I said, like I said, from an interest point of view, but the flip side of that is like, as you say, we needed the help right away. And, you know, for the month of April and the first couple of weeks of May, Brent and I were sort of, uh, you know, filling in a lot of gaps. I was writing the daily matchups column a couple of nights a week. Uh, Brent was doing that, doing that. And we were covering some of the playing time today as well, which was good. Uh, you know, I, I, I don't mind getting my, uh, my, my writing chops either because you know, that's kind of where I came up on this thing and it feels good to get back into that mode but to your point was not particularly sustainable so uh, just this weekend uh, in the last couple of days some of these new, the first wave of these newcomers have been uh, debuting on the site and I'm excited to see the rest of them get their uh, get their first byline over the next week or two or three. On that topic, is there going to be an increase in the volume of stories or the length of the articles, anything like that? Or is it going to be pretty much what we've come to expect from the first six or seven weeks of this? Well, no longer than that because of preseason. So the site's been up and running, running stories since mid-February or so, kind of full time. Is there going to be more stories, longer stories, or about the same? I think for the rest of this year, it'll probably be about the same. Like I said, you know, we were running a little bit uh, lean and mean and understaffed, and this uh, sort of gets us back to where we want to be. But I think the this sort of second level conversation is more along the lines of what you're imagining is that if we get into the offseason and start looking ahead to 2023 with a much deeper bench of writers here and knowing that we don't have to worry about a, um, a labor stoppage and hopefully we don't have to worry about a pandemic um, that, that these, uh, you know, with all of those things lined up that, you know, given some time to think about it in, you know, November, December, the, the talent we've brought in here may allow us to imagine to do some things differently that we just didn't have the staff to do differently in the last year or two. So I think that's, uh, you know, first step is to get back to stable. And then second step is to figure, figure out how we might be able to do it better and different. Well, welcome to all the new arrivals. And Ray, thanks again for covering both leagues for us this week. I guess with the Kumar Rocker item, you covered three leagues today for us. So thanks very much. And we'll talk to you again next week. It should just be one. I'll be ready. Ray Murphy is the co-general manager of BaseballHQ.com and a columnist at the site, and he covers the American League for us here at Baseball HQ Radio regularly, the National League occasionally, and the Independent League every so often. When we come back, part two of our feature expert interview with Carlos Marcano from the pitcher's list and baseball prospectus coming to the plate for his second at-bat next on Baseball HQ Radio. And he was always telling us to pound the old Budweiser. I remember one time I'm out on the mound, I'm pitching, I got the bases loaded, Joe Schultz calls timeout, comes running out to the mound, and uh, he looks at me, I look at Joe, and uh, he doesn't have anything to say to me. You know, I tried to help him out a little bit. I said, uh, so uh, what do you think, Joe? He said, ah, just, uh, just uh, zip them, and we'll go in and pound some Budweiser. <laughs> I never asked him what he meant by zip them. Just 
And welcome back to Baseball HQ Radio. I'm Patrick Davitt. Time now for part two of our feature expert interview with Carlos Marcano. From the pitcher list and baseball prospectus, Carlos, welcome back to part two. Thank you very much. Uh, I mean, I've really, really enjoyed it so far. I know it's going to get better. Thank you for having me. Nowhere to go but up. Uh, you also write for Pitcher List. We talked earlier about some of your baseball prospectus articles. Pitcher List is a really excellent website, uh, and you've created a pitching estimator at the site called SPECS. It's an acronym for Simple Pitching Estimation Index. Given the number of estimators that were already out there, why did you develop this tool? It it kind of relates to, to exactly that. There is too much information everywhere. And it can get really hard to, you know, separate whatever works from what doesn't or even how, where to apply one thing or, or the other. So what, what I did uh, with the help of Jeff Nichols and a data wizard back there in, in, in picture list is that we took a few stats, five stats, very representing very important stats and we combine them in a way to get just a simple number an index from one to a hundred and the, the the idea is was to have it have all the pictures scaled in this with this index and sort of a ranking but stat based not just because i know a lot of people do rankings but sometimes it that involves you know of, uh, stats but also the subjective part uh, which is important I, I'm, I'm all for it and I do it myself when I'm uh, you know I assembling my teams and things like that but I wanted something really really just a stat base that could give me a single number to start the conversation on, on pictures and th- this is very important because this is not something to end all discussions this is to start the, the the discussion and have a baseline where I can measure uh, pitchers against against each other. So what we did we, was take we, we took um, PCRA, we took uh, uh, zone percentage, we took um, chase uh, or all swing outside the zone rate, and uh, of course K, K minus walk percentage, which is one. I mean, by itself, it's just tremendously informative. And CSW percentage, which is like the the child from from picture list, you know, the the from Nick Pollock and, and Alex um, Fast. So I we combined all of them and um, we did a lot of testing. This was we started doing tests back in 2019, but we launched the the index at the beginning of the 2020 season last year. Uh, but before that, we did testing with previous seasons and things like that. And uh, it kind of was successful in itself. So I just kept uh, updating the, the spreadsheet. And I, it's available for anyone to, to watch it. And and um, we've got good feedback around it. Actually, and, and this is good that you mentioned about Kevin Gossman. Specs was one tool that allowed me to get Kevin Gossman everywhere last year as such a discounted price and also getting a uh, Corbin Burrs as my SP1 with an SP3 pricing before he break up, broke out. So uh, uh, we, we have found that it worked. Of course, it has its flaws, but it, it, it's been more helpful than not, to be honest. You mentioned uh, the uh, scale uh, with 100. Is 100 the top or is 100 league average? 
Like a hundred, a hundred is the top, but uh, of course, Jacob the Grom broke it and he got like a hundred and fifteen, something like that <laughs> last year. So yeah. he breaks everything. Uh, yeah, I believe it. I was going to say, but I mean, if everybody scales down from a hundred, that's fine too. Uh, one of the components you mentioned in your specs tool is the predictive classified run average, which is PCRA, and it was developed in 2019 around there anyway, um, by Connor Curson. The, the, uh, he's just a terrific pitcher analyst in his own right. Uh, what did you see in PCRA that encouraged you to incorporate it into the tool in lieu of some other very respected stats out there? So in, in back in 2010, I was, um, well, actually 2000, uh, yeah, 2019, 20, I was when I started writing and I got the opportunity to meet, uh, Jason and Connor back in six man rotation, and uh, I got to to read about PCRA for the first time. It was like, oh my god, this is so amazing! I, 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 and it looked simple, but it's it has so many layers around it that I think, oh, how didn't anyone think about this before? Uh, and 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 I couldn't believe because it creates the uh, like. An ERA, a sim estimator, but around barrels and hard hit, and also it uses strikeouts and and walks. But he combines all of this in and adds the the contact quality uh, part, which is I think very important because uh, I, these days and where we can measure all of this, we we need to to use all of this information. And what I found is that PCRA was really, really, really good. One of the best ERA estimators around, and and even better than Sierra and, and others. So, uh, in my in previous inceptions of specs, I was using Sierra and it worked fine. But um, it was PCRA what, that what took it to to the next level. So. It's it stayed and now Connor works for for the Astros <laughs> for Houston so I think he knows one thing or two so, so uh, and, and I got like the legacy of maintaining the PCRA leaderboard so so uh, I, I, I have to keep going. <laughs> yeah, that's interesting and uh, Houston's very well known for their uh, developers as uh, as developers of pitchers and uh, and uh, so anybody who gets to work in that realm in Houston obviously knows his onions now i'm curious about something that you said and uh, i just want to clarify is specs an era estimator or is it a pitcher skill estimator pitcher skill pitcher skills it, it uses pcra as it one of the in parts which is the, the the estimator but it's a pitcher's skill set index so if we were to look at the specs list now, and as you said, uh, we'll get the URL off you because it's free for anybody to, who wants to go and look at it and yeah. look for themselves. But who are some pitchers near the top of the specs leaderboard that might surprise us, that are showing us better pitchers than people think of them? Well, the, the one that really stands out right now is Charlie Morton. And, and Charlie Morton, uh, he's not having the greatest uh, start of the year. He's coming from a from a rough uh, injury last year, and and he's as I see it now, he's a four ninety three ERA guy. His FIP is four twenty eight. I mean, he he doesn't jump uh, as he's having a great season so far. 
but uh, Specs believes in him. He, he he's rated as the just bear with me one moment. I think he's the twentieth starting pitcher off the board, if I recall right. Morton, 20, 21st. He's the twenty-first best pitcher off the board right now. And what Specs is telling us is that Charlie Morton should improve a lot for the following weeks. Right now, we are we already got to a stabilization period of Specs. We need some innings pitch to to make it reliable. Are around 35 innings pitch. It, it gets better the more the more innings. The, of course, like like most, you know, the, the the bigger the sample, the better, the better. And if you look at Morton's recent results, he started really bad. He he was tagged with five, four, four uh, runs in in the previous in the in his first five six games, but in his past. Two games, he's pitched 11 innings and just one error run uh, so far. So there, he, he's he's going to continue to get better and better. So I know that some people were a little skeptical. They say, "Oh, the the, the injury in his leg uh, was something that was going to prevent him from getting 100 percent results this year." But I, I think there's nothing to worry there. It was a rough start. Maybe he had some mechanical stuff that he was working at the beginning or something. But he's is getting in in a good path, and he will continue it. Who's a pitcher who looks worse by specs than everybody expects? A pitcher you think is probably overrated when you compare his. I'm reputation. gonna get a, I'm gonna get a lot of pushback with this, but it's Zach Gallon. And and uh, I know that that uh, I mean, uh, Zach Gallen is, is doing really great right now. He's uh, just very with me with one. I got it right here. One one twenty one point twenty fourteen ERA, and he's got a twenty six percent K percentage. He's doing really fine. But Specs rates him as the. Even he's not in the top fifty starting pitchers right now. So what Specs might be looking at is that he's getting hit harder than 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 others pitchers, and and that he might be not getting enough chase, uh, enough uh, hitters to chase, and those are I think very valuable things that when batters adjust to these kind of things, they might. Uh, it hurt a pitcher uh, uh, um, uh, through the year when the year starts uh, uh, going on. And so I expect a, a big regression from Zach Gallen right now. You also developed a batter analysis tool called Q. I don't know if you named that after James Bond's uh, weapons guy, but what is Q? So, so it, it's simply Q for quotient because it's just a, a, a single division between dynamic hardship rate and the standard deviation of the launch angle and I, I have a lot of people telling me that that sounds atrocious those those names but it's 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 really it sounds worse than it, than it is right and and I'm using just a couple of concepts from far smarter guys that that I found uh, the standard deviation of the launch angle it's 
something that Alex Chamberlain came up with, and it's the it's just the variance of the launch angle for for uh, for any given hitter, and it it tells us uh, how good is a hitter to repeat the same the same bad path and the same to get the same launch angle over and over in time. And the um, dynamic hard hit rate, it's pretty similar to hard hit rate, but it's not just measured against 95 mile per, miles per hour, which is the threshold that we use for hard hit rate. It's it, a, a dynamic hard hit rate uses, uh, as it says, dynamic or, or moving thres threshold for to categorize a, 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 a batted ball as hard hit depending on the launch angle at what that was the ball was batted and this is really interesting that's also a, a Connor's idea uh, with some help from Tom Tango at the moment and uh, the idea is that if a batter hits the ball at extreme launch angles he needs a lot more power to make it travel farther so that's a good if if a batter does that it's a good indicator that he has a lot of power it's just a matter of adjusting his his launch angle because the power is getting wasted with those extreme launch angles so you don't need to hit it at 95 miles per hour if the launch angle was i don't know 55 uh, a pop-up right that that you know breaks the seal the sky it, it, it could be 80 miles per hour and that should be considered hard hit already uh so i combined those those two into i just divided the dhh between the, the tightness of the launch angle and it gives me a quotient of row power and what it does is you can find uh, players that has tremendous power and are getting better at, at uh, managing their their bad path and uh, uh, that could be a good indicator of improvements in in their power profile. Of course, this you have to. And, uh, it's always about context. The problem with this is that it doesn't take into account too much if the batter doesn't hit the ball. So you will find guys like Miguel Sano rating really hard, really high here because they can slap the hell out of the of the ball, you know? And um, Joey Gallo and, and, and guys like that, but they will they have their problems just trying to hit the ball, you know? So it, it's all about context. The article in which you discussed, Q, used uh, Matt Chapman of Toronto as an example. Why Matt Chapman? So in that moment, when, when we, I wrote that article was at the end of the 2020 season, the sprint season, and Chapman still with the A's, he had a, a horrendous season. He he barely batted 200 or less than 200. It was his batting average, and he was at the bottom of all, all the OBP and, and contact uh, uh, statistics. And everyone was kind of out in uh, from Chapman because uh, from I'm sorry uh, Olson from Olson because uh, he 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 was striking out that much, and uh, but I saw using this this statistic that he was improving his uh, his uh, launch angle his deviation of the launch angle while still batting really hard, and uh, I. 
when I introduced this uh, this uh, statistic, I bet on also being a candidate for MVP in 2021, just because I I found that he would improve his K percentage, and that with as he was still hitting the ball really hard, that decreasing his K percentage, even if it was a small improvement, would mean that he would get a lot more balls to be doubles and hum homers, and that would take all his number through the roofs. And he was, I think he, he did pretty well in 2021, and, and, and uh, I was lucky that he not only cut a little bit his K percentage, he, he really dramatically uh, cut that, that uh, strikeout percentage. So, uh, I mean, it was a, a nice validation of the concept in, in that moment. You're listening to Baseball HQ Radio. Patrick Davitt with Carlos Macano of Baseball Prospectus and the Pitcher List website. And also at Pitcher List, Carlos, you had an article titled The Real Influence of Velocity. And in it, you asserted that we're not grasping the full impact and magnitude of the situation. So what is the situation and what are we missing about it? I when I when I started looking at it is I mean we all know that the faster or the the, the harder a pitcher gets his his fastballs he has a bigger opportunity of try, striking out and, and getting the batters out of the way but there has to be a threshold in which velocity starts to be effective. And what I look at is that it's not enough to be close to 94 anymore. Uh, back in five, ten years ago, a pitcher over 90, 91 was considered a, a flamethrower and was enough. But these days, and and I think I need, I will need to update that because uh, incredibly batters keep adjusting. Uh, pitchers still have the edge. Uh, we have we we are seeing the numbers and um, batting so on on the floor and and things like that. But batters will adjust at some point, and and uh, it's just the human nature, and the numbers back it up. If you want to be successful, your fastball needs to be a little bit beyond 94, getting closer to 95 miles per hour. If not, it's it gets really hard and uh, to be effective. What are the ramifications of that 94-mile-an-hour threshold as fantasy managers when we're looking at pitchers? Do we really just want to avoid them underneath that level? So what what I think is that we should do is check on variances of on their fastballs. For example, if a guy, it's not enough to see, oh, this guy improved two miles per hour in his fastball from set season to the other. If it's going from 91 to 93, that's not going to make it. That that that's not enough. It has, it it should. What you should be really looking for is guys moving out of that 94 mile. I call it the the 90 94 dreaded dreaded zone because it it, it it's where you, you need the, your pitchers to go out of the uh, out of there. If you see that they're going from 93 to 94 95. That's uh, that's something that you can actionate on, and and you sh you should check on 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 pitchers that are doing that kind of that kind of improvement. 
And I want to make clear, you're not saying that a pitcher has to throw 95 to be successful. Uh, I get the impression more that what we're looking at here is if the pitcher wants to depend on his fastball to get people out, then then he has to get to that threshold. Oh, this applies mostly, uh, and especially this time and age that we're looking at more two pitches uh, pitcher than ever. They're, 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 we saw, for example, Danielson Lamed, uh, James Karinchak, a lot of guys that only have or only use mostly two two kind of pitches. These are the guys that are impacted the most by by it. By it of course, it, it can be uh, it can happen in, in, with others too, of course. But those that depend mostly on their fastball. Those are the ones that, that uh, are more actionable or not depending on it. And so I was going to ask you about assessing pitchers with sub-94 fastball velocity, but who have something else going for them, a big difference between fastball and changeup in, in velocity or tremendous sweep or tremendous vertical movement on their breaking pitches, that kind of thing. So there's more than one way to skin a cat, I guess is what I'm getting to. Yeah. Oh, for sure, for sure. Well, uh, that that's the beauty of the game. There there are so many different types of pitchers. We have the Hendricks, we have the Grankies, we have the oh, all these guys that the, the, the Gonzalez uh, that, that cannot do all different kind of things. That that I, I mean, things can can be different for for every one of them. The, the the thing is that we're getting used to see these flamethrowers everywhere. We we're getting used to see guys that only pump. 96 95 and even guys that are considered older like like uh uh oh my better lander or even gosman gosman reaches 95 easily with with the with his fastball so uh, that 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 we are getting so used to it that we kind of forget about the other guys <laughs> that do things differently but as you said, there are, there are way too many ways of to skin a cat so so that, that, that's that's wonderful and keeps us busy trying to analyze everything. You know, the guy who jumps to mind when I think about this stuff is Justin Verlander, who is notorious for being able to um, throw his fastball 91-92 if he's just using it for effect. But when the chips are down, he can bring it in at 97 and he has that extra yeah. that extra gas pedal that he can push to the floor when the, when he really needs to. And I wonder if there's a way to assess that, to look at pitchers whose average might be a little bit lower, but who have, it's like the difference between max velo and average velo on batted balls, right? Exactly. It turns out batting the average velo on batted balls is not that great of an indicator. The max is where, where it's at. And I wonder if, uh, is there a research project to be done on pitchers based solely on their max velocity of fastball rather than their average, because they might not be throwing it as hard as they can all the time and probably shouldn't. Yeah. There is a, a, a situation with endurance and things like that, that, that they have to keep around, but that's an interesting thought, Patrick, to be honest. That's a great, great idea. Well, if you write it and, and win some kind of award, you can thank me at the, uh, at the banquet. <laughs> You're, <laughs> you're listening to Baseball HQ Radio, Patrick Davitt with Carlos Marcano from Baseball Prospectus and Pitcher List. The Pitcher List website is really terrific. And Carlos, uh, I like to wrap these discussions up by looking at some boons and banes. These are pitchers for, and hitters for the rest of the year. And boons are guys you like and boon, banes are obviously guys you don't. So let's start in the American League. 
Who's a batter you think could be a boon for the rest of the season? Um, I like, well, I've liked what I've seen from Trey Manzini so far, you know, uh, he's like this underrated, uh, guy that, that has been just batting and batting, but, um, I'm going to, he's one of the guys, but I, I think I'm going to go with one that we talked before. That's Trevor Lardner because he's widely available and I think he can bring, he can bring a lot a lot to the table for 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 those that can still grab in around he's a power guy that um he's uh, has learned to bat for for contact too and uh, the only situation that might worry me a little bit is his is the playing time situation that he might encounter now in minnesota he was raking when he unfortunately got hurt and he lost this past week, and then they brought up uh, Miranda, and they brought well, they already sent down Royce Lewis, and but um, I, I think he could he could bring a lot a lot to your fantasy teams for the rest of the year. Uh, Ray and I talked about the whole Minnesota. All of a sudden, they've got more players than they know what to do with, and there's more coming. Sano's going to be coming back eventually, and and uh, Royce Lewis is going to bang his way out of AAA somehow. And uh, it's a good problem to have if you're Minnesota, and yeah. it's probably a decent problem to have uh, on a fantasy roster as well. Uh, in the National League, Carlos, who's a boon batter that could help a team uh, for the rest of the season? Uh, can I say they're rough? <laughs> sure, yeah. <laughs> no, 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 no. Now that we've talked about it, I mean, with the corresponding caveat of, of being a, a guy available for mostly for daily daily lineup plates, you know. But I think I think we we can have a lot of a lot of fun with him and and, and have a, a nice return of investment with him. Over to the mound. Uh, how about an American League pitcher who's a boon? Well, I was I was bringing Nick Pibetta to the discussion, but then he th- he threw this amazing complete game, and I don't know if he he probably is not available anymore anywhere. But uh, um, I I believe he's a tremendous pitcher that that I, I wrote about him earlier this um, in in April when he was in the middle of this terrible. Uh, I think he got like I don't know eight air runs in in, in, in a couple of innings, and um, and I, I I tried to tell people they don't panic yet. He he can turn around. He has I, I mean he's not out of the uh, of, of it yet because he he's a pitcher that has a propensity to to walk batters a lot more than than he should. And he's a little bit homer prone, and, and and that's also a situation. But he can strike out pitchers, and he didn't issue a walk. And I think that the best thing that happened in his last in his last game it was not that he could pitch the complete game. It was not the eight stri- strikeouts that he got. It was that he did not issue a single walk, and that's the key for his success. And he could be. Robbie Ray part two if, if he keeps it like that for the rest of the year. And of course, not walking 
Hitters means you're probably throwing less pitches, which helps you get deeper into games. Walks are a killer for, for pitchers. I don't think people, sometimes I don't think people understand just how deleterious walks are for pitchers in any situation. Uh, let's go to the National League and a pitcher who could be a boon. Well, I like our reliever, Art Warren, and and I think he's having a hard time right now. But with the messy situation they have with uh, with uh, bullpen back there in Cincinnati, well, you guys have there in, in Cincinnati, uh, I think Warren is better than what have shown so far this this month. Um, unless there is a mechanical thing that it's giving him any trouble, something that I cannot see directly. Uh, I think he could be... I, I, I really think that if they get him right, he could be the long-term solution for that and uh, for that closing situations in, in in Cincinnati. But the problem is that David Bell likes to drive us crazy with his bullpen managing. And, I, and it's really... It can be, or he can take unexpected decisions sometimes. But I think Warren could could be the, uh, a good solution there. The other problem, of course, is not going to be that many wins for anybody to save in Cincinnati this year. I'm sad to say. Uh, let's go over to our Baines now. These are players you don't like for the rest of the season for various reasons. Once again, we'll start in the American League. Carlos, uh, who's a batter who could be a Bane? My God! Uh, well, there there are a couple of them. I'll start with one that it's already I think out of the radar for everyone, but it hurts a lot because I was very hopeful for him, and that's Bobby Dalbeck. Uh, I I really wanted him to be good, and I thought he was going, but definitely uh, he won't, and and that's something that if he people hasn't already dropped him, it, he, I think it, it's way past the time to do it. Uh, and unfortunately, I say because I really thought he was going to break out this year. In the National League, who's a batter who could be a bane? So there is a lot of expectation, and this is a tough one because I like him a lot. But on Ronald Acuna, I'm really, really worried about those legs. I think. What I've read and all the information is that it's not easy to come back at full potential after that kind of uh, injury he had. And uh, he's a young guy that likes to do things at 100% or 110%. And I don't know if that's in for the best interest of himself and the team. To He's been really aggressive running the bases after his comebacks. I, I really want to be wrong about it. Because he's also a fellow Venezuelan that I like, that I like a lot too. And he's one of these new faces that have, you know, brought so much to the to the spectacle. And, and we need we need the Ronald Zagunias in, in MLB as much as we need the uh, Tatis and all these amazing young guys. But I'm a little worried about about his injury, to be honest. Back over to the mound and an American League pitcher who could be a bane. Think well, he's already, and I think people were expecting a lot more from him. Aaron Zibali, uh, he he kind of was expected to be um, an SP three, and he so far hasn't shown 
that much, and I think he won't he won't turn it around. I think I think he is a, a complete bust for the rest of the year too. And finally, how about a National League pitcher who's going to be a bane? So uh, it, it's another another um, reliever, and I think I'm worried about Kenley Jensen. I, I, Atlanta guys are going to say that I'm I'm against them, <laughs> but um, I, I think he although he's been great so far. There are some underlying stats there that and. In the specs, he's not really getting too too good uh, uh, of uh, of uh, ranking. So I think I'm I'm worried about what what's coming for him the rest of the year. Might be time to look at Will Smith. Uh, there's a lot of guys in Atlanta who could take over that role easily. So the other thing about a guy like Kenley Jansen is he's probably on a fairly short leash because they have playoff aspirations and they're not going to let Kenley Jansen blow too many saves and cost them games before they start looking around and saying, Hey, you know what? We got Will Smith. We got all these other guys. Let's make a change and see what happens. And then that person picks up the job and and runs with it. The next thing you know, Kenley Jansen's uh, um, not the closer anymore. (laughs) Then that's what you got to be worried about. Carlos Marcano's boons are Trevor Larnock in Minnesota with an honorable mention to Trey Mancini of Baltimore, Darren Ruff of San Francisco, Nick Pavetta of Boston, Art Warren of Cincinnati, his Baines, Bobby Dahlbeck of Boston, Ronald Acuna of Atlanta, Aaron Savali of Cleveland, and Kenley Jansen, also in Atlanta. Uh, Carlos, remind our listeners where they can keep up with you, and don't forget to give us the URL of the uh, specs sheet. Oh, yeah. Uh, mostly of my ramblings can be found in Twitter, uh, at C-A Marcano, at C-A-M-A-R-C-A-N-O. There in my bio page, you can find the direct link to the to the spreadsheet for specs. It's right there. It's also in my pinned tweet in, 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 in there. Um, it goes directly, uh, and it's it's available for anyone. I, I try to update it twice a, a week, so it's it's fairly up to date most of the time. And I'm doing my writing for baseball prospectus and pitcher list. Uh, mostly every week, I'm I'm around there, you know, trying to to share and learn about this beautiful game as much as possible. And the two pitcher list for the next week—that's always on Friday. That, that shows up on Friday, yes, every Friday from now until the end of the of the year. But the other stuff is here and there as as yeah. lightning strikes. I try, it, it, it's mostly I, I try to make it weekly, but you know sometimes real life it gets in the way. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it does. You told me earlier that you're a teacher. Yeah, I do. I I, I teach coding. Oh, computer high, coding. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, to high schoolers. Yeah. And uh, I used to teach, and I know that at certain times of the year, I was really, really struggling to get my fantasy baseball done while I was grading papers. I was in English teaching uh, writing courses, and so I had to read essay after essay and mark them up and stuff like that. You know, I always envied the the, got, the math teachers in particular because they could just use Scantron, uh, fill in the bubble tests, and maybe a few questions that said show your work kind of thing. But, yeah, uh, yeah I feel for you sometimes of the year, that's for sure. Are, is your school year almost over? No, actually, we are on a full year schedule. So we start in, in February and we end up at the end of November. So we are just at the, starting it. <laughs> 
Carlos, uh, I hope this was going to be terrific. I was very confident based on what you write, how thoughtful it is, how engaging it is, and how accurate it is and, and revelatory it is. So I'm really glad that you could find the time. I'm glad you found an Uber to get through the uh, torrent. And uh, I hope we get to talk to you again during the year because I've got a bone to pick with you. You said Pete Rose isn't great. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I thought I, you were going to miss that. <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to take Pete's side on this. I know the, the bad stuff's pretty bad, but the guy's got more hits than anybody in history. How could it not be great? I don't know. Thanks again, Carlos. I appreciate it. We'll talk to you soon. Sure. Thanks, Patrick. I'm really, really happy. Carlos Marcano writes for the pitcher list and baseball prospectus. The Frequent Flyer is coming up on Baseball HQ Radio. Right now, though, it's time in the show when I get to let you know about some of the great content that lets us say BaseballHQ.com is the best fantasy baseball website in the business. In the Daily Call-Ups report, our Baseball HQ scouting team looks at this week's call-ups, including some of the players Ray and I talk about, like Nolan Gorman and Matthew Libatori. In the Facts and Flukes spotlight, columnist Stephen Nickrand takes a deep dive into Tampa outfielder Manuel Margot. And in the lineup outlook, columnist Greg Jewett looks at the top of the Marlins order, Harrison Bader running wild, and a lineup improvement for Mark Canna. And those are just a few of literally dozens of great articles, reports, and commentaries that you'll find at BaseballHQ.com all the time. There's player performance validation in Facts and Flukes, news updates in playing time today and roster forecasting in playing time tomorrow. We have buyer's guides for hitters, starters, and relievers, fantasy market analysis in the Market Pulse, injury analysis in Matt Cedarholm's column The Big Hurt, and groundbreaking fantasy baseball research. As well, we have tools like the player projections updated every day, depth charts, daily dashboards, pitcher matchup planners, bullpen indicators, batter consistency reports, complete pitcher PQS logs, potential surgers and faders, and other leading indicators for hitters and pitchers. Add it all up, you get expert content plus tools you can use to improve your teams and win your leagues. And they're why we call our site the best fantasy baseball website in the business. Baseball HQ Radio. And welcome back to Baseball HQ Radio. PD here. Time now for our regular commentary. My extra innings comment is vacationing at Canada's Wonderland this week, so it's time for the Frequent Flyer, a commentary on players who might be available in your free agent pool and who have the potential to get enough playing time and production to make them worth a spot on your roster. Here with a look at Arizona outfielder Corbin Carroll is Baseball HQ analyst Alex Becky. He's that base percentage machine, according to Baseball HQ's 2022 minor league baseball analyst, with a double-plus hit tool and double-plus speed, perhaps making him a disruptive top-of-the-order force with 30-plus stolen base upside. Indeed, through his first 122 at-bats in 2022, small sample size, on-base percentage machine, 21-year-old Arizona Diamondbacks former first-round pick, Corbin Carroll has posted an exceptional 461 OBP, or on-base percentage, and a hypersonic 1166 OPS, adding in the slugging, coupled with a 328 batting average, plus 11 home runs and 11 steals in only 31 games for AA Amarillo. Whoa! In other words, Carroll's numbers thus far are exceptional, but the real issue here is his experience. 
Reviewing his timeline, Carroll was drafted in the first round, 16th overall in 2019, before playing 42 games in the minors that year. Of course, with the 2020 minor league season derailed by coronavirus, Carroll the following year only played in seven games in 2021 before reportedly tearing his labrum on a home run swing. Ouch! Therefore, adding it all up, Carroll has only played in 80 professional games. Yikes! That's why 21-year-old Arizona Diamondbacks outfielder Corbin Carroll, like all of our frequent flyers, should be considered to be a long shot, who may be worth a flyer if he is still available in your league. So yes, on that basis, the Carroll has only played in 80 career professional games thus far, and has only played in 31 games at AA, it would be very, very easy to overlook him for fantasy purposes at this point, right? Absolutely. But here's something worth considering. Look at the speed at which Carroll arrived at AA, only 49 games. And speaking of speed, look at the fact that Carroll has stolen 32 bases in only 80 games, averaging one steal every two to three games. Wow! He was a kid who was born on his due date, Carroll's mother was quoted as saying in an April 27, 2022 article appearing on The Athletic. He wanted to get going, she continued. <laughs> Not sure how that potentially affects Corbin Carroll's expected Major League debut, perhaps in 2022 effectively his first full professional season barring injury. However, don't underestimate him. There's nothing he can't do on a baseball field, Diamondbacks farm director Josh Barfield was quoted as saying in the same April 27th article on The Athletic, perhaps proving the 21-year-old Arizona Diamondbacks on-base percentage machine and disruptive top-of-the-order force, Corbin Carroll, is worth acquiring as our frequent flyer for this week. For Baseball HQ Radio, I'm Alex Becky of BaseballHQ.com. Baseball HQ analyst Alex Becky has his frequent flyer commentary here at Baseball HQ Radio every week. And that's Baseball HQ Radio for Friday, May the 20th. Thanks very much for taking the time to download and listen to show number 19 of the 2022 Fantasy Baseball season. I also want to thank our guest expert for this Friday full edition, Carlos Marcano from Pitcher List and Baseball Prospectus. Carlos was a first-time guest of the show, and it was a heck of a lot of fun talking to him and very interesting to boot. I also want to thank our regular commentators from BaseballHQ.com, the best fantasy baseball website in the business. Our Market Watch commentator was Ray Murphy, and our frequent flyer commentator was Baseball HQ analyst Alex Becky. I'm Patrick Davitt, the host of Baseball HQ Radio. I sure hope to see you on the BaseballHQ.com subscriber forums. Remember, you can stay in contact with Baseball HQ on Facebook and on our Twitter feed at BaseballHQ. You can also follow my personal Twitter feed at Patrick Davitt, where you'll always be the first to know when a new podcast is available. Please tell your friends about Baseball HQ Radio. Take a second to go to Apple Podcasts, Pocket Cast, Google Podcasts, wherever you catch your pods, and leave Baseball HQ Radio a good review and a rating. It really does help us find new listeners, and that helps us keep the podcast going. If your pod getter of choice does not find Baseball HQ Radio, please let us know about that or anything else on your mind by emailing bhqradio at gmail.com. Thanks again for listening. We'll be back again next Friday with another Friday Full Edition with an expert interview and all the usual great stuff. 
National and American League news, our Baseball HQ commentaries, all coming up next Friday on the Friday full edition of the podcast with Fantasy Baseball Intelligence for Winners. It is Baseball HQ Radio. Talk with you again on Friday, and for now, so long. Baseball HQ Radio is a weekly free podcast available through iTunes and other podcast aggregators or directly from BaseballHQ.com, where we have an archive of past shows as well. Just look for the HQ Radio microphone logo on the right side of the BaseballHQ.com homepage. Baseball HQ Radio is a production of the USA Today Sports Media Group. The opinions expressed on Baseball HQ Radio are those of the individual speaking and not necessarily those of the USA Today Sports Media Group. The program is produced and edited by Patrick Davitt.